Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah F. Jecker, a medieval historian, and today I'll be talking about the anime series Berserk with Elaine Pauls. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for coming on. So do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about why you suggested this particular piece of media to me? <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess like I'm just like a notable internet weeb. Um, so the thing about like when it comes to anime in particular and when we talk about like the way that medieval times and well, you can't even say medieval times when it comes to anime anime. Anime is just very, like, Japanese anime specifically adopts a lot of weird medieval tropes that translate in a very particular and specific way. And Berserk is, like, the most enunciated example of that. And, well, I, I suggested Berserk because you're like, who wants to come on my show and talk about, and I was like, yes, bring me on to talk about an anime. <laughs> Berserk is also, like, representative of, like, not just medieval, but, like, it's a very extreme example of anime in particular and what people think anime actually is mm -hmm. and to some extent they're right uh, and also berserk there's a lot to say i mean there's plenty of stuff that has already been said this series has been going on for a million years <laughs> and has been talked about to death but i mean not from like feminist women <laughs> yeah there's a lot to say about this as a feminist and also as a medievalist yeah. And also as somebody who really likes anime a lot, and I I admitted to you before we started this that I am kind of a berserk apologist because the manga is objectively beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's extremely well drawn and everything, but like, God damn it, there's so many tropes that are just laid out in the same way. Like yeah. I was talking to you earlier, how my partner was like, you know, I wish there wasn't as much rape in anime or Berserk. And I'm like, yes, this is where the tropes come from, is stuff like Berserk. Also, yeah, content warning for the entire episode. Yeah, there is going to be a big content warning that will be in the show notes for rape, extreme violence. Everything. Just, Berserk is yeah. notoriously, notoriously violent and intense. Yeah. And I, I'm not necessarily against hyperviolence or the use of rape in some instances, but in a lot of instances in Berserk, it's unearned and gratuitous. Yeah. And that is like a worse sin. Also, I'm here to learn. <laughs> I'm excited to learn about what is right about Berserk talking medieval times. There are things, I will say, that totally work for me in that regard. Is it Guts's sword? <laughs> the sword is cool. It is not accurate, but it is cool. Okay, thank you. I will I will concede on that. That is The only thing that I have watched or been or been exposed to is the first season of the 2016-2017 arc, which apparently comes after a bunch of other stuff that was slightly less easy to access and that I have not seen. Yeah, this is the Black Swordsman arc. It's the arc after the Golden Age. I'm already going to apologize because if you're listening to this because you found the hashtag Berserk or whatever, I'm not like I'm an anime fan, but I am not like a Berserk fan in the way that all of the Berserk nerds are. <laughs> there is so much in Berserk to explain and unpack that is like, it is bad 
baffling to me that people can keep track of the series and keep track <laughs> of all the characters and keep track of who says what and who does what because of like how many insane things happen. So this series happens right after probably the most notorious part of the series, the eclipse where Griffith sacrifices all of his friends and basically becomes like an elder God. Yeah. And now Guts is like running around searching for Casca. Usually I kind of go through the cast of things. I have not heard of any of these people. <laughs> is this the first time doing like a, a foreign representation, a quote unquote foreign representation of medieval? Or or at least not like a westernized version. It's definitely of... the first non-western. Interesting. And also there's like the anime level in that. Right. And I'm sure Christianity comes into play a, a lot in like medieval media representations of medieval times, right? Yeah. So anime is weird in that sense where like Christianity is really strange in the in the way that like Japanese animators use it where they like to use a lot of symbolism and just like pluck certain things out mm -hmm. and it is quite interesting in the, it's similar into the way that we like sort of orientalized Buddhism, yeah. all those kinds of religions. They do that too, to some instance in Christianity. And this is a good example of that. Yeah, although I will say there are ways in which I think it is better on medieval religion than a lot of things produced in Western, essentially Christian context. Interesting. Not in terms of the details of what's actually involved in Christianity, but mm -hmm. in the sense that it's one of relatively few things in which people take religion seriously. Oh yeah, I know what you mean. Like the, like the intensity of like some of the characters, how they consider themselves completely devoted to yeah. God essentially, right? Right? And like, yeah. I think that would you say so like, would you say that how is that different from like Western media depictions then? So I feel like a lot of Western media depictions, first of all, feel the need to have a lot of characters who are like basically atheists plopped into the Middle Ages because like so that we can <laughs> relate to them that they're like atheists or at least like very like 20th, 20th, 21st century style rationalists. Or there's like religion, but most of the people who are religious are very clearly like religious in quote marks and are really hypocritical. I think in some ways, like the way in which people relate to religion, it's obviously they change a lot of the kind of details of what that religion is, but the way in which people relate to religion actually totally worked for me. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Like how like the commander, she's just like straight up like, a hundred percent all for God. And she's not like a hypocrite about it either, yeah. right? Like when she finds herself sinning against guts or whatever, she like starts thwapping herself as well. And yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, it, it speaks to like the level of intensity that the series is. I'm, I don't think like the writer, I can't remember his name. I don't think he necessarily made those characters because he's like, I want to be accurate with the medieval times. Oh, yeah, I think fine. he made it because like the series is incredibly intense mm -hmm. and those characters really work well yeah. because they are extremely intense. Yeah. Also, yeah, if you're listening to this and you're like trying to understand Berserk, you're not going to. <laughs> I don't even understand Berserk and I've seen it and read most of it so just like <laughs> strap in and enjoy it yeah so is there anything that you know or want to say about any of the cast because i know nothing about them and also i'm pretty sure i might butcher their names if i try to pronounce them so i know that several of them have been in a number of my personal favorite anime series like i think the guy who plays serpico i think he plays jonathan joestar in jojo's bizarre adventure which is my favorite not just anime but 
media ever made. Mm -hmm. And the the thing about like you when you get really weeby you can start like understanding like no, like identifying voice actors and everything yeah. the the thing i will say though is that when it comes to like japanese voice actors versus like western voice actors mm-hmm. they're much more respected and they like have a lot more like cuz a lot of media yeah. in japan is through anime and they tend to like develop like their voice acting a lot more so there was another one who is in mob psycho i can't remember but they they yeah. do like a ver- they do lots of different kinds of anime but in general they're better voice actors than you would find in the west right yeah which definitely makes a lot of sense that it's like a prestige thing in a way that like it's not in the u.s except in so far as there are like the certain kinds of disney things and it's just like we hire people who are like famous as in exactly actors. i don't know if it would be necessarily like prestige their craft is just much more develop yeah when you listen to a Japanese voice actor and then here I mean this is also because like bringing over Japanese media to the west is quite difficult mm-hmm. and it's not really respected but like when you have like the English voice actor versus the Japanese voice actor the Japanese voice actor is always going to be better and like yeah. have a much better like articulated sense of how the media should be portrayed and everything like that yeah. so the first kind of main segment is the enumeratio or recap section so I'm going to start with a just what I attempted to make a brief recap of the plot and then we can begin to general <laughs> discussion. Okay, so bear with me for this yes, one. Yes, I will. Guts, also known as the Black Swordsman, is seeking revenge against his former comrade-in-arms Griffith, leader of the mercenary band of the Hawk, who apparently, in a part of this that I have not seen, murdered all of his friends and raped Casca, who was Guts's girlfriend. He also did that to ascend to, like, a god status. Yeah. So he didn't do it just for funzos. Not that I'm defending him. <laughs> and then it's because of this situation that Guts has this weird brand thing that right that calls up demons yes so uh, griffith branded all of the members of the hawk and the theory is is that he branded them in specific places that were like the most important to griffith so for example guts's brand is on the back of his neck which is to show that like griffith valued guts's loyalty like he stuck his neck out for him you know so Hmm. but the brands essentially though like means you're gonna be calling demons to you constantly yeah so he's plagued by constant demons and also hunted by the holy iron chain knights a military order associated with the holy sea including their commander farnese who has a personal vendetta against guts after he takes her hostage he is accompanied by an elf named puck and on and off a boy named isidro who keeps following him after guts learns that Casca, who is under the care of a blacksmith that he knows from something, and uh, that he is that she is there because after her horrific experiences, her mind has been, as far as I can tell, completely destroyed. He finds out that she's disappeared and seeks her at the monastery of St. Albion. Meanwhile, the knights are also on their way there with the inquisitor Father Mosgus. Casca ends up under the care of a very nice prostitute named Luca and another prostitute named Nina, who kind of sucks. But thanks to her demon-attracting brand, because she's got one too, she is recognized as being a real witch and then becomes the priestess of a local group of heretics. This, however, is not actually a good thing, both because the heretics are the worst and because she then gets handed (laughs) over to Mosgus, who is even more the worst. Casca's brand calls up what is like all of the demons, apparently, when she's about to be tortured. 
and Guts ends up fighting Mosgus and his Inquisitors, who apparently can grow wings and are actual God-sanctioned monsters in a very literal and not at all metaphorical sense. <laughs> Guts, with a very small amount of help from his allies, which eventually include Farnese, who has a kind of crisis of faith, eventually manages to defeat Mosgus and the Inquisitors, and then hold, and hold out against these just huge amount of demons. However, there's this other whole thing with a demon which involves Griffith getting reborn and also getting a fun porned panther to ride on, which I assume is a going to be a bad thing in the future. Guts leaves with Casca, followed by Puck and Isidro, as well as Farnese and Serpico, who are going to, I guess, just quit their jobs now and join him <laughs> on his vengeance quest. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm actually very, very impressed at the amount that you could recall that, because it is quite complicated. And also, like, Lane it out like that i think if i didn't know like the previous things in berserk i would be like what what's happening right now <laughs> yeah so there is some stuff that you told me and a couple of things that i like looked up after i finished watching it to try and get some other things to be put into place there are also definitely like notes that i i took notes as i was watching but then there are definitely things that like I took notes on like what they were actually saying, which I found completely incomprehensible. And then things that happened like three episodes later, I'm like, oh, that's what that meant. Yeah. And like, I will give respect to, so I will say, by the way, this anime specifically is largely hated by most mm -hmm. everyone because of like the style of like the 3D animation that they use. But, like, the anime isn't really hand-holding as well. Like, it assumes that you go in knowing basically everything, right? And if you don't yeah. know everything, you're going to be very, very lost, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, at least the action scenes look cool, which is great. But, I mean, as somebody who considers himself, like, a casual Berserk fan, even I was like, I have no fucking idea what's happening half the time. Yeah, I definitely, like, had a lot of moments where I have, like, I have no clue what is happening. I felt like the more I watched, the more I at least could guess at what was supposed to be happening. It's not, like, a casual engagement. Like, you have to really yeah. pay attention to, like, not just, like, what they're saying, but, like, a, a lot of unsaid things. And, and, like, a lot of, like, especially in the manga, they do a much better job of portraying, like character motivations not through like words but through action and things like that like right. a lot of people get very confused for instance about why Griffith just like killed all of his friends and stuff but if you do pay attention to the character arc of Griffith it does sort of make sense or at least like the engagement at least like it's like engaging because you're questioning why this character would do this and you're like trying yeah. to draw conclusions that way and i will say the anime is accurate to the manga in that sense is with this particular arc okay i have no idea what griffith's motivations are but i also haven't seen griffith he's an so... asshole that's really yeah. what it is so I'm, kind of, so I'm kind of basically like all right so fuck that dude moving on i'm fine with the fact that the plan is to ultimately kill him i guess uh, yeah, to some ins- I actually don't even know if that's the plan. I think Guts wants to do it. I don't know about Casca. Right, I mean Guts's plan. Yeah. I don't know about anyone else's plan. Yeah, everyone else is just kind of like, oh, there's a guy who has ultimate powers or whatever, so. Great. First episode is, uh, the Dragon Slayer. And my very first note is literally just, that certainly is a lot of corpses. <laughs> yeah, they really start off, like, they start you off, like, that- that you understand- 
this is not a series about like pulling punches or anything like that. Oh no. Cuz I think one of the first scenes is uh Guts taking his giant ass fucking sword. And like when we say giant ass fucking sword, this is like preceding a lot of like Final Fantasy comically overlarge yeah. swords. And also a thing I really like about the anime is that the sword doesn't sound like a sword. It sounds like a hunk of metal. That he's, like, pulling through the air and just mowing down skeletons or actual demons? I think they're demon skeletons. Oh, okay. Something like that. My sense is that what happens... So we mentioned he has this brand. Mm -hmm. And we get to see the brand relatively soon. There's this whole bit where he, like, meets some priest on the road. And the priest has a daughter, which is weird from a religion, medieval religion perspective. That that's just normal, I guess. But then, you know, he's all like, oh, like, you know, I have, like, this brand. And, like, I'm hunted by evil spirits. And they're like, evil spirits aren't real. And then, of course, like, immediately, (laughs) I guess they, like, pass through a place where a bunch of people were killed. And his brand, like, resurrects them, but as demons. So, wait, hold on go back a little bit priests wouldn't have kids because like chastity right like yeah okay so that was still a thing back then as it is today quote unquote as it is today in the catholic church mm-hmm. yeah that that's one of the changes with protestant church is that they got rid of the clerical celibacy rule Ah, okay i'm catholic so also if you ever say something's canon that's appropriating my catholic culture <laughs> true <laughs> no i'm joking please by all means <laughs> appropriate all of Catholicism it needs to die another like a gender related thought that I have is that so you have the priest and his daughter that do- that girl gets killed real fast a lot of violence against women is used as motivation for male characters in the series of berserk which yes. is indicative of a lot of other like uses of especially sexual violence right yeah and um it's bad folks we don't like to see it <laughs> Yeah. Like, especially with when it comes to Casca. So Casca was, her mind, like you said, her mind is essentially broken from what happened before this. Which is like that she was raped and also saw everyone she knew murdered. Yes, exactly. And also at the time, which comes relevant later on, which I did read that you had questions about, she was pregnant at the time. And so since she was raped by Griffith, who is like, who essentially becomes this like demon overlord or whatever, she was pregnant with Guts's kid, but then the kid is like, quote unquote, tainted. So yes, this is an extremely disturbing series. And so like a lot of this like violence against women, and it does happen in anime a lot where this Uh violence against women and specifically rape is used as motivation for male characters. So a lot of the way Mm -hmm. that like uh, Casca's rape is framed is in the sense that like it's very difficult for Guts to like come to terms with this and face revenge or whatever. And there's like... Uh And it's an easy scapegoat for the author to be like, oh yeah, Casca's mind is broken, so I don't have to really divulge into the I like the character development of a woman who has been raped, right? Like Yeah. It's a very That's very much what it seems yeah, like. Yeah, and that's that's very I'm not like excusing this because I think it's wrong. This was still written in like the nineties, I wanna say. So I mean, they didn't have Twitter to cancel this guy. (laughs) And I I think it's lazy, in my opinion. Yeah. It's bad and lazy. Yeah. (laughs) It's a lot to to take in. It's a lot. The other two characters who are immediately get, like, incorporated into his entourage to varying degrees are Puck, who's an elf fairy thing, 
and then this kid, Isidro, mm-hmm. who literally there's just like mercenaries in a tavern torturing them for fun. Yeah. And I do like those characters, especially because they're very juxtapositioned towards Guts, particularly because yeah. Guts is like this huge power fantasy, which is a part of the reason it appeals to like Joker incels. Very dark, very twisted. Yeah. <laughs> but they're kind of out of place. And also like the way that it's animated also makes it sort of out of place, but it's still appreciated. I do like, I I can't stand anything that's way too serious, which is a part of the reason that Berserk is not like my favorite thing, among other (laughs) reasons, among other things. It's aggressively serious. Oh God, it's awful. And that's part of the reason it appeals to like all these incels and Joker and like guys online who are just like continually dissecting whatever the theology and themes of of the series are. Like, this is not real life. No one is like this. Like, no one does not joke. No. And uh, if you think that it is, you're having this weird power fantasy and you need to really check yourself and like go fucking watch a comedy or something. Yeah. I simultaneously like had moments where like, you know, Guts like takes this like giant hunk of metal that is called a sword and immediately just like cuts 12 people in half. There are moments when that's very satisfying, Mm -hmm. but it is also simultaneously like this fantasy of masculine power and his like ultimate ability to protect all of these people and especially women who can't protect themselves. Absolutely. And like, this is, this is like a very extreme version. No, I wouldn't say it's really Shonen is a specific other genre of anime that I won't mention here, but it's like, it really is like a part of like this masculinity that they're portraying is like, I need to be taken seriously and you need to understand how yeah. dark and cool I am. Cause like the worst possible thing that you can be if you're this genre of toxic masculinity is to be laughed at. Right. And like that right. is, this is like an extreme manifestation of that where like no one would dare laugh at guts because they'd like, he'd cut them in half and shit like that. And you're right. Yeah. It is really satisfying also from like a strictly action perspective to watch mm-hmm. guts, like fucking mow down a bunch of demons and things like like that but it's it's also just like i'm watching it and i'm just like dude where are the jokes like just laugh yeah yeah everyone takes themselves so seriously it's very eye-rolling the next episode the holy iron chain knights then brings in the fancy knights so i think somebody mockingly refers to as the spoiled brats knights Mm -hmm. who are basically just this like fancy military order who want this like honorable position but don't really know what they're doing and then guts cuts like 12 of them in half yeah because he's the ultimate (laughs) warrior right so they have no training next to guts they haven't experienced the real world sarah these are people who come from privilege they haven't been on the streets like guts and it's like simultaneously like okay i get there's kind of like a class thing but on the other hand dude you gotta just kind of feel bad for them yeah they don't do class politics very well in berserk at all which is strange because when you look at like what is considered like a spiritual not necessarily sister like it really like i I said this on twitter before i'm gonna make like three people three genres of people mad in this podcast anime (laughs) fans berserk fans and dark souls fans the one thing i will say though is that dark souls does have some okay class politics i know like you you haven't played dark souls but essentially there's this idea it's like it's portraying this idea that like in the same way that neoliberalism is perpetuating itself despite it like destroying the world um yeah there is that concept articulated in dark souls 
in this idea of a painting being kept alive besides it, like, despite it, like, keeping the world burning and everyone suffering and everything like that. Dark Souls doesn't really have anything of that from my exposure to it. It could be different, though, because another thing about Dark Souls fans is they will shoo in literally any theory that you could ever think of (laughs) at any point. (laughs) You could take any imagery from Dark Souls and, like, make... Oh, sorry, of Berserk and, like, make up some wild-ass theory. Yeah, which does not surprise me. Like, there's a lot of, like, imagery. Yeah, there's... And the imagery... That's, like, what has made the manga and the show. So I think that's where its legacy lies, is the imagery is really powerful. And the imagery is, Yeah, and is it's like, really rich in a lot of ways. Absolutely, yeah. And it's, like, the same as, like specifically a lot of Japanese horror artists like Junji Ito understand how to make an image that is like in your brain you understand it's wrong and they do a very very good job of that in the manga and that's why I say like the manga is beautiful and it's worth like Mm -hmm. looking at at least Uh, the themes I'm not as confident (laughs) that there's something to be salvaged there so anyways I keep getting distracted (laughs) They eventually, I guess, Farnese actually ends up managing to take Gut to kind of take Guts captive. And she then, like, pretty brutally tortures him. Like, she gets kind of more and more aggressive because I guess he mocks her faith at some point. Which, uh, interestingly, she's, like, Christian, but specifically Christianity is, like, the worship of idols, which is a really interesting decision. That, that goes back to the, like, idea of, like, the way Christianity specifically is portrayed in anime and Japanese anime and manga like I'm speaking as somebody who grew up like Catholic and Christian like they have a sort of concept of it but it is like fetishized in a lot of ways oh yeah and like like if especially like if you look at the way it's done in other anime Evangelion is probably the best example of that where it's just Mm -hmm. like crazy off the wall bad shit imagery from Christianity with not like actual like we love Jesus stuff like very book of revelations like brimstone fire that kind of thing and also like this torture scene again is just totally indicative of this power fantasy where like she tortures guts in the worst way possible but he can handle it right like he's so tough totally fine Mm -hmm. he then like I guess they like take him off somewhere and she's like whipping herself because that's a thing that she does and because of that she is like not super wearing a shirt yeah and (laughs) i did mention this to sarah before yep then he i guess escapes i think puck helps him escape and so then he takes her as a hostage so he can get away she is still not wearing a shirt. She doesn't for like two episodes, right? Yeah, she will then through the entire next episode not have a shirt. And like in good anime fashion, they don't have the nipples. Like you just see oh my God, like so weird looking. lumps, fat lumps on her chest that are like, they don't show nipples. They don't show, like, it's the same as like, I mean, don't watch hentai but if you've ever seen hentai they think like they can blank out everything by putting like a black bar over like the asshole right and like they think that like that (laughs) that will make people totally think it's g and totally acceptable and everything like oh yeah no that's all yeah yeah so she's just like wandering around like with her like weird nippleless boobs 
for the entire following episode, Night of Miracles. And, like, I'm sorry, I keep going back to this, but, like, this is never utilized. In, and, in, like, in Berserk, the, it, Berserk is horny. I will say this. Yeah. And this could be utilized in a good way if you were a smart writer and you thought of, like, this is makes a woman in a very vulnerable position, in the position where she, like, hurt a man really bad and now he's captured her and so like she's completely vulnerable but that's like not really touched on at all she's just kind of shown as like this shirtless woman who is uh, around and crying a lot well is she even crying she's just scared and crying right yeah and then i feel like there's also this kind of weird thing happening where she is his enemy but that then like like the fact that he is not personally trying to rape her is like basically used as this like look what a good guy he is yeah that's exactly what it is it's like yeah which i hate almost as much as like the actual rape are these like look this man is like such a good guy he's not a rapist it's like no that's not a sign that you're a good guy that's the lowest possible bar yeah exactly like to clear that you basically have to not do something which is like the thing that bothers me the most is it's like if you're lazy you clear that bar really yeah it's like he does not get a fucking cookie for not raping her and there's so many examples of that like but like that like goes into the power fantasy right where it's just like this man could if he wanted to but he doesn't which makes him even more powerful and more or whatever and like yeah i think there is good elements of like farnes and casca like i you obviously don't see casca's character in this arc but before right. this arc casca is quite a good like at least like somewhat of a good character who is like mm-hmm. a strong woman who is kind of developed and the use that that's the problem i have it's the use of these characters as opposed to like making them a part of the story Casca's yeah. like rape is used to motivate guts as opposed to like understanding where her what how that affects her and things like that yeah like I said I'm a berserk apologist but those are unforgivable things which if you don't yeah. like this series I completely understand why and there are things that I like about Farnese's character especially like that she actually and we'll get to it when you get to later mm-hmm. episodes like she actually has an arc yeah that's very true as well and it's like that's another thing about berserk that's kind of like uncharacteristic is that like Casca and Farnese specifically, like a lot of uh, other anime, they don't have like good characters who are women. And at least Farnese mm-hmm. and Casca have like, are interesting at the very yeah. least and yeah. have personality as opposed to yeah. just being like, I'm a woman who wears armor or something along those yeah. lines. There's also a lot of world building demonology stuff in this episode, which I found cool, but also simultaneously a little incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. I love how he described the like source of the title, Night of Miracles, is that he describes the demons as miracles sent to the world by God because they're things that should not exist. <laughs> There's tons of like world building things like that, where that's part of like what makes the fandom so nerdy is that they like completely yeah. dissect those kinds of things and they dissect like the lore of the world and how like these demons are come to be and because like obviously the logic isn't based on like actual real world logic it's based on like the demons come because they sense whatever and kind of things like that yeah and building that world i get the appeal i get the appeal a lot just like don't be too nerdy about it is all i have to say Yeah, and the world building is definitely what I like best. He meets a thing that is called an apostle. So apostle is what uh, Griffith is now. 
So during the eclipse, Griffith essentially became an apostle, which means you're in the God hand, which means you're basically a super demon. So you're like one of Satan. Well, not Satan, because I don't think they really use the word Satan. I I can't remember. They definitely use like witchcraft and stuff like that. But like essentially you're an agent of evil. Yeah. I think that they're called apostles, the God's hand. This is another thing. This is why people are going to get so mad at me. There's so much lore that like, I already have my brain filled with stands from Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Okay. There's not a lot of room left in there. (laughs) I can't, I can't handle more anime. Or I can. And I will. (laughs) (laughs) We also learned that the apostle, like, ate somebody and then, like, put her head on the wall. So that's also a lot. Yeah, there's tons of, like, throwaway violence like that, right? Yes. The thing about Berserk is, like, it, it gets close to the point of it, like earning its violence. That's my thing with hyperviolence. I like hyperviolence personally, and I think it can be utilized in a really powerful and good way. If you want an anime that does do that, go watch Devil Man, the recent version Mm -hmm. of it, and follow it all the way through. That is violence that, like, has paid off. It, It totally earns it, in my opinion. But, like, this is, like, just gratuitous throwaway violence, especially against women, which I really hate. There's also this, like, super gratuitous rape scene or, like, attempted rape scene with this, like, demon horse who is trying to (laughs) rape Farnese, who still is not wearing a fucking shirt, which means that we have to, like, watch the demon (laughs) horse, like, licking between her boobs, and it's, like, the worst thing I've ever seen. Just so listeners know, I was reading Sarah's notes, and, like, one thing she said was, like, can someone fucking get Farnese's shirt, please? And I was like, correct, (laughs) yes. I mean, because the notes that you saw also are my, like, adjusted notes (laughs) that I, like, did the, like, consolidation of notes after I'd finished watching it I think in my actual like in the moment notes I wrote like five times can somebody get her a fucking shirt that's the thing is it's like it's not earned for her to not have a shirt or something like that and like just like I get it like she's been like captured and like but like use that if you want to like you can't just not have her have a shirt and like her paraded around or whatever you have to like fucking acknowledge that she doesn't have a shirt on or something like that right and also it's like they're trying to you know present Gus as this like good guy obviously it's like he couldn't have fucking like thrown a cloak on top of yeah absolutely or like which would have taken two minutes yeah well I mean that's very typical man not thinking about that kind of thing but but like he's just like dragging this woman around him as a hostage with like her like tits flopping around and it's like really yeah god this works for you yeah, I, and like like I said, I'm not going to defend these kinds of things from Berserk. I will say, though, if you're a man and you like Berserk, you need to do some self-reflecting. Do I like it because of the world building and the art? Yeah. Or is that just an excuse for me to play out these violent power male fantasies in my yeah. head? Which is what a lot of Berserk fans uh, do. You know, and we were talking at this before we started recording that like, I sometimes take it as a bit of a red flag sometimes when I hear like guys are into medieval history because a lot of the time it's like guys who are into medieval history basically for like their perceptions of the Middle Ages as violent and also they are white supremacists. 
And so they see it as this, like, dominance of the white man. Absolutely. And, like, I think, like, when people think of anime, like I was telling you earlier, my partner was like, I don't like anime because it's super rapey. And, like, this is a great, Mm -hmm. like, this is, Berserk is, like, the pinnacle of, like, what people imagine when they talk about violence in anime. And they're completely right. Like, this is just, like, a method for, like, toxic masculinity to, like, form in a certain way and while I don't fault the writer because like get that out instead of like do other horrible shit or whatever but like people who really subscribe to Berserk and they like look up to Guts as like a good character that needs to be emulated or things like that Mm -hmm. that's when it becomes a problem yeah you're right in the same way that like a lot of people who like LARP medieval times or whatever like I know you're listening to this Berserk fans and you're like no I like the lore and I like the world building and everything but like you need to like really recognize that maybe you don't you need to be harshly critical of that shit because like I said I think the world building and the animation and the manga is great not the animation in this but like the the manga is great but like you need to like be like Guts is a horrible character (laughs) as is most of the characters in the show (laughs) the other like rape thing that I wanted to talk about is that like adding fucking insult to injury she then Farnese then gets like possessed by a demon and so is like straddling guts basically I guess until morning and therefore the demons go away yeah so like that's the idea of just like every woman is horny for guts like guts is a power fantasy he doesn't have any characteristics outside of being like perpetually tortured but the idea of him perpetually being tortured and then him like rising above it and being the ultimate powerful being or whatever what doesn't kill you makes you stronger is very appealing right right? well because all white men are have are perpetually tortured because their lives are very hard yeah exactly extremely (laughs) difficult i mean it is kind of like you know how like people like especially men like to talk about like Twilight specifically, how, like, Bella doesn't really have a personality, but women like to put themselves in the position of Bella because then they're, like, dating some all-power... It's the same thing with, like... Yeah. Men have tons of these examples. Oh, yeah, yeah. but they only talk about the women ones. And, you know, I I find (laughs) Twilight very frustrating because I feel like I hated Twilight, like, for feminist reasons. Yeah. And now I feel like I can't, like, hate on Twilight as much because hating Twilight has been appropriated by asshole (laughs) men, and it makes me really angry. Man hate, man hate. (laughs) I am here for this. But, like, you're right. It's so hypocritical because men talk about constantly, like... Like, oh, Twilight, blah, blah, blah. Like, Berserk, yeah, it has this world building and great art or whatever, but Guts is exactly the same thing as Bella. You can quote me on that and cyberbully me on Twitter for that. (laughs) Yeah, no, he does not have, like, a real arc or, like, character development in this, at least. All of his character motivation, though, is based on violence that happens to women, yeah. which is bad, especially in this arc. Yeah, and it sounds like he doesn't, like, change. He has, like, different, like, specific goals, yeah. but, like, his personality remains completely the same. He's interacting with all of these other people that are, like, kind of being on his team, but he doesn't actually become more, like, caring or team-oriented. Yeah. He's just, like, occasionally deals with them when he has to. Yeah, exactly. Like, he doesn't, like, interact very well with people, and, yeah. It's very, yeah. it's very dark, very twisted. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get bullied so bad from this, but I don't care. 
The demons finally go away. Serpico shows up and finally gives Farnese a fucking shirt. Also, I actually do like Serpico. He's kind of a cool I character. I mostly like Serpico. Yeah, he's kind of a cool character. Actually interesting. Has weird motivation. And you're like not really sure where he stands with everything. I kind of like Serpico. I have a couple of weird moments with Serpico, which I'm going to get to when we get to them, I guess. Please, please go yeah. on. Yes. The next episode, Revelations. Guts has a vision of Casca being burned as a stake. So I guess there's more violence against this one particular woman that is going to be able to motivate him. Also, speaking of Revelations, Book of Revelations, very much. Oh my much. God, like so much Book of Revelations. Yeah. Like I actually skipped it, but there's a quote that's like toward, right toward the beginning in episode one. The Revelations say that when the sun dies five times, a red lake will appear to the west of the city with a name both new and old. It is proof that the fifth angel will alight. That angel is the falcon of darkness, the master of the sinful black sheep, the king of the blind white sheep the one who shall call upon the world in age of darkness. That's not actually in the Book of Revelations, but it 100% could be in the Book of Revelations. And that is also a reference to the eclipse, which happened before this series, where okay. he becomes Fomento, essentially. And like, yeah, you're right, though. Like, Book of Revelations is batshit. If you want to read something that, like, totally is blowing your mind outside of Dark Souls, just pick up the Book of Revelation. You can steal yeah. the Bible from any hotel. You can find it basically <laughs> everywhere. The last Last time I read the book of Revelations was actually because when I was in grad school, the other medievalists and I developed what we called medieval Latin drinking group, which was basically a Latin reading group, but we just like got very drunk and like started cracking up about Latin. This so. is amazing and incredibly <laughs> nerdy and I'm into it. <laughs> so in particular, at some point we were reading the book of Revelations and just like I at least like went into just fits of uncontrollable giggles over the fact that there is something Jesus says that at least in the Latin Vulgate, like literally translates to, I know where you live. <laughs> Jesus does know where you live. Just he so does. everyone knows. Like... Book of Revelations, though, like that's not even the craziest bit of the Book of Revelations. Everyone go read the Book of yeah, Revelations. Yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's very metal. Revelations episode. He has this vision, so he goes to find Casca, and she, I guess, had been like plopped down while he's off revenging with this blacksmith and these two people that are hanging out with this blacksmith who are not his children, but who are like his pseudo children. There's some more shit about the blacksmith that I don't really understand. I think he's a character before this, but I totally forget. Yeah, it is very clear that we're supposed to know who he is, and mm -hmm. also that I think he built the sword and or Guts's like gun hand, mm -hmm. which will become increasingly useful to him. Oh yeah, we forgot that Guts has a hand that also shoots projectiles. Like yeah, so he, or he like he has like he has like a prosthetic arm, which is just a gun. And this is the thing. This is where like it starts redeeming itself for me. <laughs> it's like Guts's like use of his gun hand and his sword is objectively cool. And the I, action I really like the action sequences. I'm like yeah. I'm actually not opposed to graphic violence in things. Mm -hmm. I don't like specifically the sexual violence, like the yeah. sexual violence and violence against women. But like, I'm perfectly fine with seeing graphic violence. It doesn't necessarily bother me. Yeah, and I completely agree. And the thing is like, when it comes to sexual violence, it's specifically because it's overused and it's not done properly. And like, yeah. I think maybe there is a place for it, but like everyone needs to take a break from it for like 20 years before we start 
start actually having yeah. that discussion because it's constantly used as motivations for men whereas it's like this happened to a woman like it, it didn't happen yeah. to this guy regardless of what you want to say and like yeah. the violence in this show is like good it's like well done this is another yeah. reason that i think like anime will never ever work in live action because when it comes to anime specifically fight scenes and violence and things like that it just has such a good way of like moving the camera around so it just like you're like it's so satisfying to watch guts like mow down all yeah. these guys and, and things oh, like that yeah. <sighs> so cool the holy iron chain knights meanwhile while guts is finding out that for i guess he finds out that Casca has disappeared and he gets his like gun arm and sword fixed up and then eventually goes off to find Casca at this monastery. Meanwhile, however, the Knights of the Holy Iron Chain are also on their way to this monastery, and they are accompanying Mosgus of the Bloody Bible and Inquisitor, who is described as having sentenced over 500 people to execution and killed more through torture. Great guy. He also looks a lot like, this is an anime thing. If you've seen Full Metal Alchemist, he looks like the the prophet at the beginning of it. I can't remember his name exactly, who uses the quote unquote philosopher's stones. But anyways, like this guy is fucked. <laughs> yeah. And he like fucking like looks like he has been carved out of a rock. He like, at some point he gets attacked by all of these villagers who are mad because he like murdered all of their families I guess and has like this like group of professional torturers that like pops on out and then he like literally I think murders a dude with a book yeah he's also like a good example of how to make like a purely evil character in my opinion yeah. like he is a good character I'm not saying like he acts good or anything but he's a well done character in the sense that like all of his motivations are purely evil from the sense of like a humanistic perspective, right? Yeah. But the way he sees it is he legitimately is like, this is like because I am a powerful being and because I have been blessed or some shit like that, right? The other thing I find interesting about him, and this I'll talk about a little more later, inquisition wise, this part really is a mess from a medieval, from like from a medieval, a medievalist perspective. But I do appreciate that Mosgus too is not actually hypocritical. Mm -hmm. He like genuinely has religious conviction and believes that everything he is doing is totally right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like, I think that's interesting. Yeah. And they do a very good job of like making sure that they show that like the people who like religion is a motivating factor is like a good. Yeah. Like th now that you've mentioned that to me, it makes a lot of sense that like the way a lot of Western medieval religion is like portrayed as like oh religion is a second thought my first thought is survival or whatever like there's no yeah. like translation as to po as like religion is survival to these people like if i don't appease yeah. a god i'm going to fucking die or things like yeah that, that like right? that like yeah that like that matters to people the idea that they believe that they might go to hell like that is a motivating thing for people yeah and i appreciated that it's very this. human he holds a quote simplified trial which means no trial for like <laughs> 50 people who he then just immediately executes so that's fun he executes them with the breaking wheel right yes that's I'm gonna real, talk about right? the breaking wheel. Okay, good. Okay, yeah. we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. We'll later. talk about the breaking wheel. <laughs> he kills a lot of people. They also, I just want to make a note now, because I predicted something. They refer to a group of people called the Kushan, who they refer to as being their foes in religion, to which I immediately said, Oh no, I know where that's going, and I was in fact right. Those are the scarfed people, right? The people who are just like 
the most coded, unsubtle faux Arab Muslim co- dude I was just about to ever. be like coded ethnic, coded Muslim. Yeah. Similarly to like in Lord of the Rings, right? Where they bring exactly. in the... Yeah, exactly. Where it's just like the evil others or like 300 where it's just like... Yeah. It's like a different version of evil Orientalism essentially. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Which also then is like weird from the perspective of a medieval universe and it's like, where are you that you have these like Muslim invaders? Yeah, and like... In this, like, world that's, like, the 14th, 15th century? It is interesting that they do that despite having, like, a very objectively evil Christian, quote-unquote, characters and things like that, like... Right, that you still need to bring in this just, like, unsubtly, like evil and you know like almost nothing about their motivations like they said i think like a couple of them talk at some point but like and they're especially out of place in this world where like very christian demons and deities like clearly exist right like yeah where do these people come from i'm sure like some dark some berserk soul some berserk souls (laughs) some berserk nerd is gonna mansplain that to me later and i'm (laughs) not gonna care i'm sorry to tell you this like from a world building perspective I'm mildly curious as to how they fit in but yeah but it definitely was just one of those moments that they're like the Kushan are foes in religion and I'm like ah fuck there come the faux Arabs yeah and like I get like this was written at a different time and everything but that doesn't mean it's not subject to the same kind of criticism that we should have now especially when it comes to like portrayals of race and before anyone starts telling me about how like but it's a Japanese anime or whatever like anime is fucked up about race and I have a lot of things to say about that yeah I don't know a lot about that but I always have found it like very interesting that pretty much every anime character I have ever seen like looks like a western white yeah so the thing is like okay I'm a white person I'll I'll say this full on I am also a white and I'm not Japanese and I am very like westernized or whatever but like Japanese anime and Japanese people in particular have no problems with doing things like blackface just like straight up Uh for funzos and also I mean they have history of imperialism so I don't think it's wrong to be critical of Japan specifically especially when it comes to like colonialism race and like imperialism specifically you have to do it very carefully and like under a lens of like I'm being exposed to this but like it's not wrong for me to say like Japanese people doing blackface is wrong like and bad and so and so like from in my perspective the portrayal of what is clearly people from the Middle East or Muslim people in this kind of medium as like them just like straight up being an agent of chaos or like evil or whatever is problematic, without a doubt. Yeah. I'm not a scholar, by the way, anyone. (laughs) I'm definitely gonna be cancelled on Twitter, though. That's, like, my goal, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I've, this is, like, not the first thing in which I have, like, that I've watched in which I have complained about Orientalism, because, like, almost, it's, like, this is, like, it fits very well into the standard medieval tropes, and that an every medieval movie where they depict people from the Middle East, it is always either this, like, very, like, one kind of stereotypical, like, negative negative Orientalism about the evil Muslims, or it's this weird idealization of Muslims, but where they're essentially, like, like, I guess there's, like, that trope of the, quote, magical Negro. 
Oh, yeah, I know what you're and, saying. And, like, you see that a lot with Muslim characters, some of whom are Black and some of whom are, you know, are not in uh, in medieval media. That's the thing about, like, when it comes to Japan specifically, is, like, they're not a nation that was colonized, and they're not a nation that was, like, against imperialism. So when you yeah. consume that me- media from Japan, specifically anime, you need to keep that in mind when it comes to racial yeah. relations. Yeah. The next episode, we do then see the Kushans for the first time. We get this kid, Isidro, back, the kid from episode one. Yes. Who is getting beat up again, but now he's, like, learned something, specifically how to poison people, I guess. Uh, he's scrappy. I like him. Yeah, I don't, yeah I don't... no, I'm on, I'm on board with him poisoning people. Like, that's yeah. actually, like, pretty... So basically, he, like, he has some food, although he's it turns out he's, like, hidden most of his food. But then, of course, the, like, marauding soldiers go after him to steal his food. But the, like, food that he had visible that they see is actually, like, poisoned with some kind of, like, sleeping drug, basically. Good good idea, honestly. It's refreshing to see the use of poison outside of, like, a black widow or something like that. Right, that poison is, like, often very stereotypically presented as being a woman's weapon because, like, women don't have honor. Well, okay, it is... (laughs) Okay, here's what I will say. It is presented as not having honor. However, like, it has historically been used as women. I would not say it's not having honor i would more or less say it's you being smart and like them yeah. not being able to detect how you're killing someone or anything yeah. like that right like also it makes sense because both stereotypically but also in reality in various historical settings women have control of food yeah exactly so we're using our own domestic labor against men essentially exactly also exactly. women are just objectively better at crime like i'll yeah. full on say that like women will right. get caught less and i know there's tons of men in who are going to listen to this and be like, Mm. well, like, men are incarcerated more than women and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because we're better at crime. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We poison people and no one ever finds out. (laughs) Exactly. So this (laughs) is actually a very feminist portrayal. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, but it does, I will say, like, on the other hand, it is something that, like, historically there are a lot of women who are like accused of being poisoners if somebody close to them happens to die and it's like very much like an anti-feminist accusation in a lot of contexts like, oh oh yeah i can't argue yeah. that women get killed over arbitrary shit a lot <laughs> like there's right. and no it's like a question. way that like various like powerful historical women get vilified so like lucretia borgia who was uh the daughter of a pope who was bad at celibacy in the 15th century bad at celibacy <laughs> love to see it <laughs> he had like three kids <laughs> <laughs> um, who at least one of them like Tezare who is just like extremely terrible and um but his daughter Lucretia like I think a lot of people died that she, it might have been convenient for her for them to have died and she is like h- accused of having poisoned them and there's not really any evidence but she's like presented as being this like mass murderer basically in some contexts great yeah, and also of having committed, having had an incestuous relationship with her brother, which not great. Yeah, no, don't like to see it. No. So anyway, the kid like poisons these people and is about to get away, but then the Kushans arrive, who are indeed very unsubtle faux Arabs. But then Gus shows up and just immediately kills all of them. Yeah, because he's like fundamentally in the right right and like there's right. no way that he's just gonna kill or even if he does kill innocent people they probably deserved it or something yeah. along those lines he's also just like depicted as like very godlike so like whatever like right. the justice of his sword does like you're just supposed to accept that yeah puck 
then like steals all of Isidro's food, which I guess is fine. And he starts to follow them. And then we get to the monastery. This is our one like bit of like religious hypocrisy, I guess I would say. And that like everyone's clearly starving. And there's a monk who literally, I'm pretty sure at some point is like emptying and like a half full plate of food out the window. Oh yeah. I vaguely, well, not vaguely. I do recall this. Like you said, there's not a lot of instances of religious hypocrisy in this, is there? No, like this is, I would say like the kind of only big one is like this, there's this kind of implication about the monks and not that there wasn't religious hypocrisy ever in the middle ages or anything like that. Obviously. Yeah, obviously. But like it it does take religion very seriously and it does like, It doesn't, like, no character here is acting because they're, like, atheists, like, hey, like, rubbing their paws together. Like, religion is my ticket to money or things like that. Like, they do truly right, believe. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and, like, you know, not that I think, like, Marx is wrong about the, like, religious, is the religion is the opiate of the masses idea, but I also yes, don't think it was being, Sarah. like... <laughs> Like, not that I think he's wrong, but also, like, I think that that's, like, to some extent led to this idea that, like, religion is being deliberately wielded in that way, in a way that I think it was, it was, like, usually not quite that conscious. That's actually, like, a very good, art, more articulate sense of uh, religion is the opiate of the masses. It's the same way, like, how people think, like, conspiracy theories are, like, things that are intentionally used by the government to, like, mislead the public or whatever. But really, it's just, like, in reality, conspiracy theories are made where, like, incompetence sits, right? Like, like, there's a ton of, like, human action that is just unaccounted for or things like that that, like, lead to people thinking, like, oh, this government has so much power over us and everything like that. And there's this overarching, like, world order. It's the same as religion. Like, I actually do not think that most people who are severely not well seriously religious are delusional or utilizing Mm. that religion in a way that is like weaponized right like I also have a lot of respect for people who are seriously religious to be honest because as someone who is not religious I just don't understand that level of that that like uh commitment to theology and things like that right and so like I I think like there's a lot of misunderstanding that like a a lot of people like in berserk they do a good job of showing that like Farnese specifically doesn't think she's acting like maliciously yeah they they do a good job of not showing like the hypocrisy in that sense so right which I really appreciate and like you know I'm I'm not religious either Mm -hmm. although I kind of grew up in a kind of more observant Jewish context and went to a Jewish high school but like and then like you know I still teach in Jewish studies but like especially like as somebody like I study religion in a lot of ways in part because like you can't study the middle ages without studying religion Mm mm-hmm and, like, it really bothers me when people kind of have this assumption that anyone in the medieval world is stupid or irrational because they are deeply religious, which, no, they're not. It, those, it is not incompatible to be both a somebody who holds very deep faith and also to be an intelligent, thoughtful person. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. It's it's quite arrogant, in my yeah. opinion, to say that. And it is, like, very... Um, it, it, it is, like, weaponizing, like, Marx's words to kind of say that in that context. Like, to some extent, I do think that, like, religion under the guy, under a capitalist, war, like, under neoliberalism is an opiate of the masses, especially mm-hmm. in the way that Marx understood it. But, like, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with, like, believing in God or being observant or, like, right. tradition or things like that. 
Yeah. So I think you're right. You, you're touched on something that I didn't think of before this, that this has done a good job. This series does a good job of like really making religion intense and like yeah, intensely articulating how people were like dedicated and like were very serious about it. And it wasn't, they weren't acting religiously because of militia or anything like that. They were just acting because yeah. like that's their, that's like what they believe. And honestly, like that's so rare in so much medieval media that like I really appreciate, I like, I have a lot of appreciation for this show because of that, even while also having a lot of critiques of it. And it's weird because like specifically Christianity in the way that it's depicted in anime, like I said, it's kind of fetishized in some sense and it's like very misunderstood. They do a very good job of it also in Samurai Champlo. So Samurai Champlo, set in feudal Japan, a part of it is based on like the like small sect of Christians that lived in Japan and were persecuted mm-hmm. at the time. And so they were like hiding essentially under yeah. the Japanese government. And like, I was like, first of all, as a Catholic, I was like, wait, what the fuck? Christians were ever persecuted ever? <laughs> like, when did this fucking happen? And in America, it was also right very... now, Christians are persecuted. Yeah, I know. We're like so persecuted, right? And But it was also like super interesting to see that like they had to like go into hiding and shit and like still like they're committed to their religion and other things like that like most people are just like oh yeah just like don't be religious right and it's like no that's not how it works (laughs) yeah there is however a lot of torture starting in this episode being perpetrated by the monks slash at the monastery Mm -hmm. Uh, we get the good line it is not only benevolence that god bestows upon the world he is also a stern judge and then we get the introduction of all of the prostitutes so okay Here's my question about the torture when it comes to, like, specifically... You've read uh, Discipline and Punish by Michel Foucault, obviously, right? Parts of it, at least. So at the beginning, there's this, like, very graphically depicted scene of violence, like, from medieval torture or whatever. I mean... They were medieval times were violent or whatever, but is it like fetishized the violence in it? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean, torture happened, but and this is something I'm going to talk about in more detail when I actually talk about like I'm going to talk about the Inquisition in particular a bit later, like the actual Inquisition. Mm-hmm. Yes, there was torture, but it has a purpose. It's not just like for funsies. <laughs> Damn, I was hoping for funzos. Like there is like a point behind the torture and it's also like very regulated. Okay, so like probably like some kind of sociological perspective where it's like a group like bonding experience where everyone goes out and watches the torture or something like that or it's like... Well, that it actually has like a legal purpose. Oh, I see. Essentially, it's it's often made like almost impossible to execute somebody without a confession. So there's almost like it's not arbitrary in the way that we like perceive it, right? Right, exactly. It's not just like I'm just going to torture this person because no matter what, it's that essentially like it's very difficult to actually kind of call like deem somebody ultimately guilty without them having actually confessed. I see. And so torture is considered acceptable as a means to obtain a confession, which obviously I'm not saying is like a good thing, but it's actually not a form of punishment. It's specifically a way to obtain what many people I think in fact believed was therefore the truth. Ah, I see. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, so it's not its not just this pure sadism. And as I said, it's also like very well organized in that the reason we actually have can tell a decent amount about medieval torture is because like you actually are legally obligated to record all of the details. 
like there is a notary sitting there whose job it is to say exactly what is done to a person that then ultimately will potentially elicit the confession. That's really interesting. I didn't realize that it was like so meticulously wrote out or anything like, which is probably why we know it now, which makes exactly. a lot of sense. But like the fact that they were like content with like writing it down and like meticulously documenting it, like tells you everything that you need to know that like it was an acceptable yeah. and like good part of society. Right. In the, right. Sa- in the same way that like, we're like fine with like documenting how like, well, not exactly the same way, but you know what I'm saying where we're talking about like the enormous amount of paperwork that comes to like when people are incarcerated or things like that right exactly so like that obviously yeah torture is bad i'm not saying that torture isn't bad but that it's like presented as just this evidence of extreme violence and sadism essentially when like no it's a thing that has a very specific function in the legal system and it's not just happening for no reason i'm on the fence if torture is bad or not i'm joking obviously (laughs) But, you know, uh, whatever happens, happens. We meet all of the prostitutes because the only job that women could possibly have is being prostitutes. Is that accurate? Probably not, right? No. No, that's, like, literally what I'm writing a book about. That's actually really good. Like, there must have been an enormous amount of work that women did outside of prostitution. Well, work that was probably unrecognized as work, like, which is why we have domestic, like, unpaid labor and things like that. I mean, so there's obviously all of that, but it's also, like, women are, like, employed in, like, the textile industry, for example. Like, there's a, and, like, women are, like, dominate the baking industry in Catalonia. And, like, on the side of, like, wealthy women, like, you have a lot of women who are involved in commercial investment and money lending and real estate exploitation. Not to mention that, like, I mean, I shouldn't even say prostitutes. Like, sex work is still valuable and, like, Mm -hmm. but, like, at the time, there's definitely this perceived notion of what sex work is like. Sex work is obviously serves a purpose and sex work is work. And I don't mean to say that it's not, and there's great scholarship being done on medieval prostitution, which absolutely was a job that some women had, but it just always really irritates me that that's presented as like the only form of women's remunerated labor. Yeah, I see what you mean. As I said, and that's like literally what I'm writing a book about, so. That's very cool. You will have to send me a copy, (laughs) please. I am very interested in this now. You know how I feel about In like four years when it goes through the academic publishing process and is actually like a physical book. Yes. The prostitutes rescue Casca, which by the way includes her being wrapped in bandages because otherwise she's going to immediately get raped. Yeah. And so so you have to like hide her pretty face and pretend that she is like horribly disfigured. Like some kind of leper so that like people don't touch her or some things like that. Yeah. She, as you know, we've said before, like has the same like weird brand that Guts has. So you mentioned that his location is significant because it like it's on his neck and that's like that he's like sticking his neck out. Isn't hers like on her boobs? But hers is right over her heart. So like Griffith then owes her heart owns her heart or whatever. Like so like he put it like on but also that's like a big like fuck you that Griffith does to guts specifically and also to casca like so he puts it on he puts it on the places that like essentially like he says like i own you essentially so it goes yeah i know it's really fucked up and like i'm sure like some other berserk nerd will have like a much more articulate version of that but that is basically my understanding she has the same brand that calls demons to her to some yeah, extent. so she creates, wakes up, whatever, all of these, like, demons who are, like, demons inhabiting the resurrected corpses of the people who died on the breaking wheel. Mm-hmm. I- I'm not sure exactly how it works in terms of the link between, like, the demons and the corpses. 
but at I the very least, the corpses are, like, good, like, places for demons to hang. Yeah, I think so. I don't really know yeah. either. <laughs> That's how I was interpreting them as, like, reanimated corpses who are being inhabited by demonic spirits. Mm-hmm. She then gets saved by this, like, weird demon fetus situation so that is the that's the demon fetus so like i said before when costco was raped by griffith who was in his like fomento skull like hawk king or whatever uh she was pregnant with guts's kid and essentially when she was raped the kid was like tainted or whatever oh fuck that's her kid yeah so that's like her demon child her and guts's demon child that is like coming around that is what i think i'm pretty sure i know that she was so that's helping her because it's like her kid well like her little demon child or whatever i mean her like fucked up kid but like yeah yeah that's essentially (sighs) what it is yeah oh i hate it it's sort of a witcher 3 thing if you've ever you've never played that game you don't play video games there's a whole arc with something like that in witcher 3 again i'm not defending it it is good though but it is fucked up (laughs) yeah guts gets help by this thing that's like basically like the terminator knight on that's like a ghost horse the skull knight who is basically like deus ex machina so that's how like, like guts him. that's how guts like survives the eclipse essentially is the skull knight shows up and is just basically like i'll save you and also he's like super powerful has killed a lot of like apostles in the same like you know what griffith is and all those like a uh, god hand guys he's killed a bunch of them which makes him super powerful okay. he's also just like cool looking i'm sorry yeah oh yeah he's awesome i'm a fan yeah i like him a lot he always has like cool wisdom and like a cool sword and everything yeah the show should be about him really oh yeah definitely he like gives griffith he gives a griffith he gives gets this warning which i later then went back and successfully interpreted as meaning that the god hand are using this monastery as the site of a ritual that will bring griffith back to a corporeal form Mm -hmm. this was not clear to me when i was watching when i was just like what the fuck is this dude saying it was barely clear to me and i've read the manga like Mm. it's very confusing because like they use language resurrect and all this kind of thing and you're like i don't really understand the consequences of them resurrecting something i don't understand like griffith well and also like they have they never say i don't think they mention griffith by name no they call him like fomento and like a million other names yeah and and then there is just like it is happening like it like the same as before and no one can prevent it i'm like what's happening so i don't necessarily think that this is bad and i think this is part of where like the the fandom makes sense to me is it's like Mm -hmm. those kind of gaps they like it's like piecing a puzzle together and like yeah. everyone talks about it and everything like that like what does this actually mean and like later on it's explained because when these chapters are coming out from the manga it takes like months and like this has been going on forever and it's still happening yeah. in this manga so i i understand why that he writes it in this way and i understand why it's compelling but like as a passive viewer I'm not going to lie. I have zero attention span. And additionally, like when I'm watching something, most of the time I want it to just like wash over me and like for me to really trust whatever the creator's decisions are. So like, for example, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, something makes no sense. I just accept it. And then like, it's awesome. Like in this though, like something makes no sense. I'm supposed to like dissect it and like actively that might make me a bad media consumer, but I don't care. I mean, I'm up for some of that, like, 
kind of like work, especially in terms of like, I'm very, like, I'm a big fan of fantasy in general and I'm really mm-hmm. into world building. Like I actually, uh, I've been, start, I've been reading Wheel of Time recently because oh, like, hell my yeah. uh, former co-host like uh, is, uh, you know, uh, finally convinced me that it's time to read Wheel of Time. The and, Blind like, Guardian album is based off of the Wheel of Time, right? Oh, is it? I don't yeah, know. I'm a... like, I'm trying to not like, I'm not going to listen to it till later because I'm trying to not spoil myself because okay. I'm like on book eight of like 14. Holy shit. That's a lot. <laughs> like a lot of book. Yeah. And I, I respect that, that kind of like vision for a series a lot and yeah. I really enjoy it. I just think I might be a bad consumer of media. Also fantasy is not like my normal game. So like mm. anime is, but fantasy isn't. Yeah. My normal game is like basically 1970s sci-fi, like okay. resurrected in one way or another. Like basically yeah. I just like reading heavy metal from Fair the enough. 70s and 80s. <laughs> but yeah, but I really like that. Like there's like all of this like world building that you have to dissect and there's like stuff that you don't get that you'd have to like go back to to actually figure out what was going on, which has happened to me like 12 times while I'm reading Wheel of Time that like I'm like up to book like six and then Ollie's like, by the way, this is this thing that you missed in book two because it only makes sense after you've read book six. It, it, it makes makes you like it's smart like from a from a writer's perspective to keep yeah. people interested it makes you feel like you're an archaeologist like as like a consumer right like you're going yeah, back which, and you're like dissecting through different things which i like which i guess makes sense because i'm a historian right exactly so that's, like, actually <laughs> my job. i like historians a lot because like the the common conception is that like history is like something that you can like objectively read or whatever but i love all the little fights that historians get into all the time oh right because it's not actually actually like objective like the claim of historical objectivity is very much in a lot of ways a false one in a lot of ways it's a very kind of like white western male claim of like logic without biases and that obvious and especially like that's something that came up especially when scholars started doing like women's history in the middle ages and like things that are thinking critically about gender things that are thinking critically about like queer studies or like race and ethnicity studies that like oh that's not objective history with the claim then being made that like us as like white men only studying cishet white Christian men in the Middle Ages, like that was objective history. Oh yeah, and that's like so indicative of how men view themselves as these like, unlike these like third person, totally objective actors and like their like tiny little man personalities have no (laughs) conscience over their decision, even though they're like the whiniest little bitches in the whole world. Like, and you're right, like that does totally shape. That's also why I really like history as well. Like as a pet project, obviously not as like, you know some scholar or whatever but I do like reading history from like that perspective that like this person wrote this under this perspective I wonder what that means it's also one of my like great moments with that was when I was an undergrad actually and uh, we had to do these like little like historiography papers and there was one uh, this wasn't mine so somebody else in the class was doing one where it was basically okay so scholar a says this about like the medieval German nobility scholar b says this Scholar C says, who gives a shit what either Scholar A or Scholar B said? They're both definitely Nazis. (laughs) (laughs) That was written about me, Scholar C, (laughs) by the way. It's just like, yeah, no, these people all have biases and they are creating a medieval world in a very particular way. The epistemological scaffold or whatever it's called. Yeah, and like making choices about like what matters about medieval history from particularly this perspective. Oh, you're making me like academia again, Sarah. Don't make me do this. (laughs) (laughs) Only like some academics. 
I'll tell you later about medieval Twitter and then that might make you hate academia again. Oh, yes. I, I work in STEM, so, like, I know, like, it's, I, I work in academia and STEM, so I'm just like, oh, God, I hate this all the time. <laughs> we then get to learn more about Moskis' Inquisitor buddies, who apparently are all, like, quote, I think this is the term that is used, deformed people who are then, like, made into, like, murderers for the church. So, like, there's one dude who has, like, magic leprosy and, like, a 17th century plague mask. Yeah. And it's questionable, in addition to other questionable things in this show, that they basically set up this thing of, like, all of the, like, people with disabilities who are visible in this show are evil. Uh, the main thing for me is it's, like, I, I, like we were talking about before, like, history is obviously written by, like, mostly white male, men and everything like that. Like, and while we're getting, like, more perspective of, like, race and, like, gender in particular, like, disabilities, like they're largely depicted as evil or um, completely weak, enabled people or or anything like that. And, like, that cannot possibly be be accurate. Like, maybe it's, like largely one or the other but like there 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 is no way that that is like the absolute encapsulating view of people who had disabilities at the time or whatever like yeah. especially when i think about things like vision like I actually, I love thinking about living in the medieval times or whatever, like as an average person, like Mm -hmm. understanding how like time would work is totally baffling to me. Like, cause someone would say like, okay, I need to meet you here at such and such a time because they would have the church bells. So yeah, exactly. Like how would those kinds of things work? And like, now I think about it. Like if someone is like 10 minutes late, I'm like, where are you or whatever? But like, how would you even have a concept of what 10 minutes would be at that time. And I understand time is like a, a, a ca- very capitalist invention yeah. and is used to like monopolize our lives and everything like that. But like, I think about things like glasses too. Like if you yeah. had severe t- astigmatism or something like that and you were living in medieval like they come up with some kind of corrective lenses by i think the 14th century but like not in this way that we have them now so like it's that you could use that if you were say if you're a person who was actually literate and was reading you could have like essentially something that's like a magnifying glass but like they didn't have like glasses that you would wear all the time and so like if you had like my eyesight where like i couldn't make out the facial features of a person sitting two feet away from me then you would have a very rough time. So the medieval depiction of you, though, like from Western media would basically like be you, some like weird shaman who like had a hood over their head and it would be like the blind woman will tell you what's going on in your future. As I like, like peer that. very deeply into their eyes because I have to be like, t- we have to be like touching noses for me to be able to like see their face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, I really like thinking about like, very mundane shit like that yeah and like disabilities does come into that in some senses because like yeah there's lots of disabilities that are unseen there's Mm -hmm. lots of disabilities that like you don't really understand how it impacts you like from day to day or whatever like yeah it cannot possibly be true that they just like murdered every kid with a disability oh no and like and disability studies actually is a growing field um in medieval studies i don't know a ton about it but it is like a field that more and more work is being done which i think is interesting and there's also in particular like i mean so this guy as i said has like weird magic leprosy basically increasingly people are talking about the fact that like leprosy still like allowed you to be in various ways productive like member of society well they do that in princess mononoke too right where like Mm -hmm. uh, lady boshi like she 
has like a colony of lepers in her compound or whatever who make all of her guns and stuff. And like, also that's part of the why it's my favorite movie is it's like, these are not like bad people. They're workers who are employed yeah. by somebody who need this to survive, who are otherwise not going to be able to be employed or things like that. But they're still like agents of chaos in the way that they're, they're like providing Lady Eboshi with like weapons of destruction and sh- shit like that. Right. Like, and so like, that's the kind of nuance that I would like to see. <laughs> not, yeah. Yeah. like this evil leper who is housed or whatever or like even like a leper we're fo- supposed to feel sorry for like give me right. more nuance please right so this is basically like oh we would have essentially like no option whatsoever if father Mosgus hadn't like hired us to torture people mm-hmm. is basically what happens with like all of the people who like visibly have disabilities in this movie that cannot possibly be true right or in this series no that definitely was not true yeah. yeah and that's definitely not the reality in the medieval world and yeah so that is definitely a thing that like is frustrating yeah i mean like we're totally picking apart this or whatever but i feel like this is what this podcast is about yeah. just absolutely yeah. teasing it apart as much as possible yeah we also see that father Moses's thing apparently is that he like he prostrates himself 1000 times a day which means he literally just throws his full weight onto the ground which is intense He's a very intense man. If there's several instances of him getting mad, I can't remember if it's in this season or the next season where like just veins like completely pop out of his face. I hope it's this season because I hope he's really dead and doesn't come back next season. Well, damn it. lots of very interesting <laughs> things happen to him next yeah, season. Damn. Then we get the, the fun heretics. Mm-hmm. Nina is, I guess, one of them. Nina's one of the prostitutes who kind of sucks. And she decides to take her boyfriend, Joachim. I want to say Joachim. She keeps saying, like, Joachim. I don't don't know. (laughs) I'm having, like, a rough time pronouncing his name. We can just call him the Joker. If you want. So she decides to take the Joker <laughs> to her like heresy party. So which is basically like a festival with a lot of naked dancing. And there's a thing called a great goat who's definitely like just like a dude with like wearing a goat head that you like do obeisance to and some blood drinking. And so Joachim's supposed to like drink this bowl of like blood and organs and then decides that, like, no. And so then Nina goes in, like, three seconds flat from deeply in love to, yeah, no, kill him, throw him off a cliff. She's just going with whatever the party is, Sarah. Yeah, which, like, <laughs> Luca, the other, pro- the, like, nice, pro- the, like, good prostitute yeah. then sees, and she's, like, really annoyed about this, and then, like, spanks her, and it's like, I'm sorry, spanking is the punishment for you just killed a dude? Yeah, that spanking shit is fucking weird. That's another it's thing real. that's, like, just, like, weirdly horny about berserk it's so like, weird and like yeah, it just feels gratuitous the the thing about like especially with anime like there's like horniness just injected in a lot of pa- places like where it's just not necessary and like folks we do not need to be horny all the time not yeah. everything needs to be horny berserk does not need to be horny in my yeah. opinion speaking of how everyone's really fucking horny <laughs> then in like three seconds the heretics like take off all of Casca's bandages figure out that she's hot and not visibly deformed and then immediately try to rape her until she like i guess summons a bunch of demons or something the demons must have just like felt like something was wrong well they're still like attracted to her because of the brand right so like she always has like demons like same with like guts like is always like fleeing from whatever things yeah and also i think if like for any reason like a drop of blood touches the brand that Mm. seems to be like an extra thing i think so some yeah some berserk lore 
person yeah. will understand that Anyway, better. there's like some demons that she like calls or subdues or something. So they decide that she's their priestess, which is, as we'll see, not necessarily a good thing either. <laughs> no, we, absolutely not. No. We also see a bunch of heretics getting burned at the stake, which uh, gets a very up close and personal shot of a burning corpse, which was a choice. Farnese is like, yeah, I've been like lighting corpse, like lighting fires and like burning heretics personally since I was a child. And then Serpico like mentions this whole thing. And this is where I'm like a little like, um, I'm sorry about Serpico that he reveals that his mother was burned as a heretic three years ago. That is not that long ago for him to now be personally burning heretics. But also, like, it does tell you about Serpico, where, like, Serpico is weird. He and, is like, weird. He, he's a very character, he's a character who's very out of place, where you can't really, I don't really know his motivations. And, like, yeah. that kind of thing is something that uh, I hear, like, when I think about that, I'm just like, that sort of fits with Serpico in the sense that, like, I don't really know, like, what he's there for. And, like, he's, like... Right. It's, like, he's kind of like Tom Bombadil, where it seems like he's, like, plucked out of something else and, like, dropped in Berserk. It's very weird. Mm-hmm. Isidro finally catches up with Guts, and I'm legit super proud of that kid. Yeah, no kidding. I, I like him a lot. He's a good... I like He's him a too. good scrappy boy. I see a lot of myself in him that, uh... Yeah. He's a yeah. fighter. Yeah. Casca is, like, still... Like, increasingly, I am just so bothered by her just, like, sitting there and, like, being presented as this person who essentially, like, does not have a, like, functioning mind. It's just, like, it's so wrong for them to do this thing to her, like, as a yeah. writer and then like do this horrific thing to her and then completely rob her of any agency over herself and like exactly. i know that, like, i she's know put in a position where she can't have any agency for this entire series absolutely because of the like essentially the like men the like way in which they write her as having responded to trauma and like also like i understand that like the writer is trying to make this like the most traumatic event possible which like i get and everyone responds to trauma differently or whatever but like response speaking it's just like fucking super lazy and it's like yeah. very ineffective for like i mean i i get like this writer is not really being like i need a woman audience to listen to berserk or anything yeah but, like, no i don't think that's what they're looking for but it it's like very it's lazy and unreasonable and like everyone responds to trauma differently i understand that and everything but completely robbing a woman of agency after she has been taken away her agency from being like thoroughly raped is like really bad folks it's not good really bad and like having the only way her agency is going to be getting back gotten back is like through some man helping her yeah exactly like that it's just like and i know we keep talking about this or whatever but it is a very prominent theme throughout this whole series this whole part of berserk and like the whole motivation of guts's character essentially and casca has no motivation now like you've you've robbed her of everything essentially and you've done nothing to like really justify that choice that that choice like it's just like she's just like a nothing she's like a hollow character now 
Yeah, exactly. And then just like things happen upon her. Absolutely. And it's just so disturbing and upsetting. And I understand like if you were to really emphasize like that's what rape is, is things happen upon you and you're robbed of choice and agency or whatever. But like that is not the purpose of that. The purpose of this is so that Guts has like character develop like some kind of motivation or whatever and that he can and it also that like he can do things without her interfering because she mm-hmm. doesn't have the mental capacity to like interfere with any of the like things that are done to her absolutely and it sucks a lot because like casca was not a character that was just like something that would let things happen to her before this and right. like Again, I get, like, the how they're trying to say, like, this is how horrifying that this was, with the, that this was, like, a total break of this character and everything like that. But, like, women are not necessarily inherently weak in this way. And, like, I, I don't Right, think... and obviously, like, every as you said, everyone responds to trauma differently. But, like, many people do not... I mean, most people do not respond to trauma in this way. Like... Yeah. I know many people who are who are survivors of sexual assault who are, like amazing strong brilliant people yeah and And like like... i I just think it's like very lazy writing wise and i think it's like very typical man writing wise to not think of like okay so i'm going to use this woman as an actor in whatever like plot that i have as opposed to like a person yeah and it's very indicative of that Again, this was written many years ago, but still should be subject to this kind of criticism. Yeah. First, they just, like, throw jewelry at her because apparently the impoverished heretics can buy, like, a fuck ton of fancy jewelry, I guess. (laughs) So then there's the whole thing. So there's Pepe, who's a different prostitute, gets arrested, and Luca goes to help her and then ends up running into Guts, who at some point then Luca and Guts, I guess, chat and realize that the woman she's calling Elaine and is the same as Casca and they, you know, go. Yeah. We forgot to mention that Casca was called Elaine. Yeah. Until this point, <laughs> which is also mine. Uh-huh. Which I'm just like, yes, guts talk about Elaine more. Very problematic. I know. <laughs> I guess just because just not knowing her name because she can't talk. Elaine is what, uh, is what Luca had happened to name her. <laughs> then they go back to find her and reunite her with guts Nina has, however, for reasons which are, like, not totally clear to me, decided, like, me and Casca are just gonna, like, take off now. I wasn't super clear on that either. She just likes running away from things. Yeah, like, this Like, as a hobby? I think, like, if I was to remember more and also pay attention more, it would make more sense. Because, like I said, this, this, this series is good at, like, not being, like, too, like logic everyone needs to act in this certain way or whatever. No. Like, they, they do a good job of, like making characters motivations like irrational like humans are maybe that was just like for plot device to like keep her away from guts more probably yeah anyway so she they take off and of course the heretics find them and so then it turns out that the way they are going to honor Casca as her priestess is that the dude wearing the goat head mask is gonna rape her and also that they're going to cut out Nina's heart as a ritual sacrifice so that's fun Yeah, and I, like, cannot possibly imagine, like, I'm sure, like, lots of women were raped during, as they are now, lots of women are raped, but it cannot be, like, a cornerstone of a man's identity, right? Like... No, and it's also, like, this is my other just big thing about the Middle Ages, and this is true of, I guess, both the violence aspect, but in particular, I think the rape aspect, I think there's something really insidious about the way in which rape is presented as an everyday norm, in media about the Middle Ages in ways that it is not in media that takes place in the present. And I think that is because they are attempting to 
try to disavow the reality of current rape culture by displacing it onto the past and presenting it as, look how bad it was back then, so obviously now it's better. When honestly, like, you know, I mean, like, the numbers are not here to say anything definitive, but, like, I would bet that the rates of rape are relatively constant. And I think, like, it also comes down to, it's very insidious because it does, like, imply that there's something inherently natural about men raping women. They're Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, let's look across all of time and, like, how much in the medieval ages, like, men would just constantly rape women all day, every day, and it's part of, like, being a man or things like that. And, like, it's very normalized to depict it in that way but like it cannot possibly have been like that no definitely not rape was absolutely like a bad thing yeah not that it didn't happen like it happens now yeah but like it was a bad thing it was not just like a normal accepted thing that like all men were just rapists all the time Yeah, that's really interesting now that I think about it. I didn't think about that before, how, like, it's just, like, so prolific in the depictions of, like, medieval culture or whatever. And, like, also as a woman, you're just, like, expected to be raped. I'm sure there's... Yeah. The the most women in that time probably were, like, I'm not going to be raped today or anything like that. Right, the same way that now most women don't think... I mean, we obviously, you know, I think there are ways in which, like, as a woman, you have, like, fears... And anxieties because of the reality of rape culture, it would be great if we didn't have to live that way. And I'm sure that was also true in the medieval world, but it's not this just constant expectation that this is normal, which is how it's presented in this media. And so it reminds me, there's this book that came out a few years ago by Steve Pinker, who's, I guess, a psychologist called The Better Angels of Our Nature. Oh, yes, I've read that book, actually. (laughs) I haven't read it, but I read the journal issue which was basically just historians fucking dunking on this book because so his argument is that we've gotten less violent over time and all of these historians are like first of all like you're doing bad history like you are doing a bad job at representing the medieval world and for example for the middle ages there's a scholar dan smale at harvard who wrote one of these reviews and he specifically comments on like he has like three citations one of these three citations that it talk about medieval things is by an actual scholar. That's really interesting because I remember reading that book in my undergrad and being like, this is kind of reactionary. And like also yeah. like the the way that like the professor who I was with like presented it where he's just like, uh, like inherent biology, blah, blah, blah. Like anytime someone says that, I'm just like, oh God, yeah. no, please don't. And like, that's kind of the way it was depicted. Anyways. But anyway, but I think like the narrative of progress is bullshit. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Sarah. That progress always forward shit is fucking stupid. Yeah. And anyone who thinks that, the that world is works. like, yeah, exactly. But if you think that, it's because you're like subscribed to the current paradigm of like, oh yeah, progressive, like we're always moving forward, neoliberalist, capitalist bullshit. It's all yeah. 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 Anyway, so that's like my particular like medievalist high horse is about that is like, not that I want to go like back in time and live in the Middle Ages and like idealize it. But also, no, we have not like unendingly moved forward. And like one of the things that I think is most depressing about the modern world is that there are so many continuities with the past, including the disparity between how much women make on average versus how much men make is actually about the same now as it is in 14th century England. I mean, you're like, it's it's ridiculous how like this cognitive dissonance works because I was thinking about this the other day and thinking about the Reagan administration in particular, mm-hmm. like everyone's like, Trump, so stupid, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking like, there are so many parallels to the Reagan yeah. administration as there is to the Trump administration 
I mean, obviously there's like a much broader period of time, but still like Reagan is looked on like a hero to a lot of people. And in reality, it upset me so much <laughs> yeah. extent to which when he died, people who at least call themselves, you know, who at least claim to be on the left. Yeah. Fucking participated in this hagiography of Reagan. And I'm like, That's no, awful. you hated Reagan. Reagan is terrible. The fact that he's dead does not make him less terrible. Ronald Wilson Reagan is easily one of the worst people to ever exist in a oh, long yeah. time. And like, like people are laughing about Donald Trump and everything. And, and like, so I compare that to Ronald Reagan. Like there is a lot of very similar things. Yeah. Like in particular, like the cognitive ability is like very obviously not yeah. there with Trump as it was with Ronald Reagan. And so like, I think people just like don't have a good idea of, they want to continually think that they're moving forward. It's, it comes down to psychology. They want to continually yeah. think that they're moving forward and they're not stupid and they're better, but they might not necessarily be. Exactly. And it makes sense that that's a book that's written by a psychologist and not a book that's written by a historian because we yeah, know better. Yeah, hell yeah. Sociology, historians, hating psychologists. Yes. Party. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I hate psychologists. Casca is going to get raped by the great goat, but then Isidro, the kid, shows up and starts to distract the heretics but then she wakes up some more demons and this then involves the great goat who up to then has been like, just like a dude with like a goat head mask thing gets yeah. like transformed into an actual like horrific goat headed monster who then gets like real fucking rapey real fast. Yeah, of course. Because unsurprisingly, like, yeah. because all men need to rape. Like that's yeah. just inherent. Right? This is definitely like about the point where like I simultaneously got like very invested, but also very annoyed at how invested I was because it felt like every episode I was like, fuck, I have to keep watching to make sure nobody like murders or rapes this poor traumatized woman. I feel the same. Like, and especially because knowing before and like being invested in Casca specifically, mm -hmm. and also like they named her my name, which helps a mm -hmm. lot because I'm very narcissistic. <laughs> I don't want them to kill this character but like yeah. her she's being threatened constantly and i'm yes. like i should not be as invested as i am about the well-being of this character but like you're forcing me to be i know and it's very frustrating yeah. guts does show up i think right at the end of the episode and like chops everything in half which is very satisfying <sighs> that's the problem i keep exactly. getting fucked up by that like where it's like like we said we're like please don't kill this character please don't kill this character and then guts shows up and like just mows everything everything down in half right and like that keeps you on the hook is the thing like yeah, it and keeps it's like that you it's very invested. frustrating is that it's like this whole thing is like it's forcing her into this like damseled position and it's terrible and I don't like it but also simultaneously like then guts shows up and like saves her and cuts everything in half and I'm like yeah yeah exactly <laughs> I, I feel a hundred percent the same way and I just like can't yeah and, got me and his battle with the goat dude is legitimately really cool especially ending with the like he has these grenade things apparently which like you know are not very medieval but they're from fun his, from his like a uh, gun fist right yeah his gun fist also like produces like grenades so how he lost that arm also by the way so he gets the gun fist after he loses an arm so during the eclipse when Casca was raped he had a demon bite on his arm so he couldn't Fun. like get free 
So he was watching uh, Griffith rape Casca, and he Christ. cut off his own arm to try and get her. So, like, Jesus there's this Christ. whole savior thing, yeah. Okay. Which is why he has a gun arm now. Serpico then decides, in, like, the midst of there being, like, a ton of literal demons, that this is the really good time for him to, like, find Guts on a ledge and fight him. Oh, yes. And Serpico, is this when he has the feather sword? Yeah, and it is, like, yes. simultaneously, like, it's really cool, and it's a cool sequence, and it's impressive, but also I'm just very much like, oh my god, there are bigger problems. <laughs> I know, that's the thing about Serpico, he doesn't act on logic. And I'm just like, I just cannot with, like, you and your fucking, like, evil church situation, and I just, like, would like people to, like, deal with this demon thing. <sighs> that fight sequence is seriously so cool. It is really cool. It is, like, one of the coolest moments in the whole, like, that season. Yeah, and it's, like, it's also, I will say, I like that it does undermine Guts's like, all-powerfulness. Yeah. In that he is presented up till now as being able to, like, essentially with ease fight anything automatically. And I really like that this guy who is presented as less traditionally masculine, or at least not this, like, certain kind of, like, essentially bulky masculinity. And also Serpico is, like, very wild card. Like, Serpico yeah. is intentionally, you don't really know, like, what his motivations are and things like that and so yeah. when it comes to this point in the series you're like what the fuck are you doing like it makes sense to me in the but at the same time i totally agree with you where i'm just like Serpico, stop go fight a fucking demon Absolutely. there are so many of them then it turns out that joachim is not really dead but he immediately gives up nina and Casca are now back together and so he immediately gives them up to the uh, holy iron chain knights azidro tries to save them by basically like jumping off a cliff awkwardly and does not succeed, which is not surprising. And really the only surprising thing is that he does not break all of his bones. <laughs> Nina's then taken to be interrogated by the Inquisition. Since I already have stated a number of times that I think Nina sucks, my last note on this episode is definitely just, Jesus Christ, don't fucking give her away. Which of course she immediately does five seconds. Like literally, I think they like break a nail and she's like, yeah, no, Casca's the demon witch, get her. Yeah, absolutely. Just total traitor. Fucking Nina. Mm -hmm. I will say, though, I, I'm not going to overall defend this show on its depictions of women, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a good point made on some episodes on the, of the Bechdel cast that I've listened to that there's going to be said for having more representation of, like, mediocre women. Yeah, I do have to agree with you on that. Like, I really do respect any kind of show that does, like, a good job of, like, or, like uh, showing a woman who sucks. Yeah. And, like, is still, like, involved, not to bring everything back to anime, but this is also a part of the reason I really love Sailor Moon, is because mm -hmm. Usagi objectively sucks. Mm -hmm. She's not a good friend. She's constantly late. She's really bad at school all the time. She's not yeah. smart or anything, but she's still, like, the main character, and the reason mm -hmm. that, like, she is the main character is because she like makes so many friends and like all of her friends help her and support her mm -hmm. and I think like it's very important to show women are not always going to be these like immensely powerful beings or anything like that like right. it's okay for women to be weak and yeah. I agree with you in that sense but at the same time you're right where it's just like come the fuck on when there's like yeah. such limited like actually I'm kind of like torn because like there is women at least in Berserk. It actually passes like my yeah. test that I invented for this podcast that there has to be at least one named woman that doesn't die. Yeah and like it does pass it and also it, I think it passes the bestial test where women do have conversations not about men in that show. Yeah I think they do. Which is very strange. Yeah. <laughs> considering uh, it's just like the the entire plot of this 
arc revolves around redemption of a rape, which I do not know yeah. if I can get past. No, absolutely not. So, like, on the whole, like, this show is, like, not getting a lot of brownie points on the representation yeah. of women. But, yeah, but that's the only thing I will say is that, like, Nina sucks, but I think it's actually, like, important to have that kind of, like, mediocre female portrayal sometimes. I completely agree with you. Farnese is kind of annoyed because she's going to be like dragged off to the Holy See and doesn't want to be. Then we get the torture chamber scene, which I am not fond of, especially with like Mosgus starts like ripping at Casca's clothing. So not on board. It's gratuitous. Like it's... It's a scene where like simultaneously... There's not an actual, I don't think, serious threat of rape, but it feels rapey. Yeah, because it's like, it, like the the violence is clear, is clearly sexual, right? And it's like, sexualized in a way that it's not in all of the many scenes where we've seen men getting tortured. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's exactly what it is. And yeah, like men just do not have like they're using that kind of like because this was written by a man. They're using yeah. that like threat of violence in a way that's specific to women that they don't experience, right? And so they're using it as yeah. a narrative device as opposed to something that's like a real threat towards women. They really do not understand like the consequences of u- using that as a narrative device. And it's obvious in the writing, right? Yeah. And when I say gratuitous, I mean like the violence is not paid off, like not paid off, but like the the threat of that violence or or the actual violence like has does not have the consequences that for me warrants that kind of choice narratively yeah it's only used to like make it more salacious you know yeah if that makes sense she gets popped into this like iron maiden and then some like blood hanging out activates her brand and then now there's a lot of reanimated corpse demons. Mm-hmm. And I am on board with the fact that they then just kill like all of the priests. Yeah, I'm cool with it. <laughs> I'm with it. Guts shows up. And again, it's just like, on the one hand, he's clearly like, right. He, you know, clearly is like, the church is terrible. And he's like, interacting with Farnese, who's like acting as a church representative, but still the way he like violently manhandles this woman to get her to like, take care of him to the torture chamber is like, not a great look. It just speaks more volumes to like, a lot of the things that happen in the series are questionable, in my opinion, to like, at least it's interesting choices. Yeah. There's a dude who I just totally forgot to mention, Jerome. Oh, yeah. He's like one of the uh, the Iron Chain Knights and he's sleeping with Luca and like, you know, they, they sort of have a bond, I guess, whatever. He certainly seems to think they do. I will say he kind of like wins in this scene for being like surprisingly chill about the fact that like his prostitute girlfriend calls him to like help an accused witch escape with the help of the black swordsman <laughs> who's like public enemy number one. Yo, credit where it's due. So like, yeah, credit where it's due for just being like super like, yeah, sure, whatever, hun. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Jerome, I feel like wins. Person who does not win, Mosgus who takes Casca to burn her at the stake as a witch. And then he and his inquisitors just like sprout wings. And my notes in the moment were, um, wait, (laughs) they have wings. The fuck? The fuck are these weird angel monsters? I think that's like indicative of a lot of things that happen in Berserk. (laughs) Like those three statements in order where it's like, wait, the fuck? The fuck? They have wings? (laughs) Yeah. That doesn't surprise me at all. The next episode, tellingly, is titled Hell's Angels, which is not wrong. 
Yeah, no. So you've got the angel things. You also have Luca does this whole thing where in the previous episode where she like, they were like hanging out a window and she like sacrificed herself and let herself fall to save Nina, which is like a bad call. But Mm. she gets saved by (laughs) the Terminator dude. Skull Skull Knight. Cool dude. He is very Terminator. You're right. He is. He looks like the Terminator. He's also like Days Ex Machina. Like he does show up a lot. Like when something like catastrophic is happening, but also like, he's Deus Ex Machina in a way that is not like he's specifically supposed to be like a superior being. Yeah. She then makes friends with what I personally described as a demon murder octopus. (laughs) Who describes himself as the egg of the perfect world. I believe that this is like the egg that if I am not wrong... It was, like, the egg that turned from, like, this little red egg that Griffith had, I think, at one point. That makes sense based on ensuing events. This was, like, this little artifact that Griffith had when the eclipse happened that allowed him to essentially ascend to, like, this apostle, like, godlike being. Okay. That, like, egg is, like, pretty legendary for, like, imagery and, like, dark souls and all this kind of thing. And also, like... It's just really fucked up to look at. There's so much conversation in the show around that, like, egg specifically and what, like, it means and all this. Yeah. And, like, no one really super knows, which I think, like, is a good narrative device. Like, no one really knows what it is and everything like that. I was very intrigued by what was happening with the demon murder octopus. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good name for it, honestly. It also has this thing that it describes as, like, it's idol made of the skin and bones of priests, which looks basically like an awkward yes. like coat made of faces and it keeps saying I am no one and I'm pretty sure George R. R. Martin stole this. It would not surprise me if he did. Guts defeat some of the monster angel situation things but Mosgus gets away with Casca who can cre- uh, continues to be victimized which is very irritating. The monastery gets like swallowed up by this apocalypse blood demon situation mm-hmm. and also now Mosgus can just like literally breathe fire. He's like a weird demon dude right so like I mean he's not a demon he's like a, a he's a like god Demons. Yeah, kind of, but like he just gets these weird powers or It's not, not clear exactly how yeah. it all happened to me at least. He and Guts are fighting and that's happening and the people down below are all like very on board. There's like this whole like village that's now very on board with the like, yes, let's burn Casca at the stake and then this will save everything. We then get like a lot of cryptic commentary about how everything is following the same path as before. No man possesses the power to alter this festival's outcome, which I guess means that Griffith is getting resurrected. I don't know. In some senses, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Griffith Griffith gets the same kind of treatment that Guts does, where it's like, Guts is a villain. There's there's no doubt in my mind. I know he's like depicted as some kind of anti-hero or whatever, but like to some extent, he still is a villain. Griffith 100% is a villain, but everyone acts like this guy is so cool and like everything. Like, I want to be this guy, is that? And that's kind of the same guy where it's just like, there is no one who is powerful enough to like defeat everything. But then Griffith shows up and they're like, there is someone powerful enough to defeat everything. The weird demon octopus egg thing 
eats the fetus demon. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm vaguely recalling this. Which now feels even worse than it did before. Yeah, because it's uh, Guts and Costco's fetus baby. Yeah, and like the demon egg monster is like Griffith's thing. And there's just like a lot happening that I'm like with that that is like worse now. The audience can't see it right now, but I'm basically doing the shrug emoji. Yeah. Guts at first, it looks like he's defeated Mosgus, but then nope, Mosgus is just like made of rocks because the Bible made him that or something. He I don't know. A million, he gets a million powers, essentially. Yeah. Like, he's so holy, he gets so many powers. Yeah, including that like he does all these attacks that are like very like video game-esque in that he like announces what they're called as he's doing so, them. The animation of this series of Berserk was heavily criticized because of like shit like that. Like it does look like a video game because of like the 3d animation and not just like the calling out like the way that the camera angles move and everything like that and in some instances i'm like holy shit this looks cool as fuck in some instances it is like irredeemably bad yeah (laughs) i i want to defend it but i can't i'm sorry (laughs) also his fire breathing attack is called god's breath and literally, he is just saying the English words, God's breath. Yeah. I do That's pretty know. typical of uh, <laughs> anime. They do that with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, too. That's way better. Go watch that. Okay. It's not medieval. It's still no. really good. But, you know, just, like, for fun. Yeah. <laughs> Guts finally defeats Mosgus with his, like, grenade situations. And uh, he does, like, there's, like, a come, like, you know, some fun, like, anti-religious quips. I think Mosgus, as he's dying, is like, let me take this heathen with me. And uh, Guts goes, I'm going to pass. It's your time to shine with your god. Also, the grenade situation is, like, the new name of uh, my band and also might make a podcast called that. (laughs) The grenade situation. Yeah. I like it. I'm on board. Good (laughs) They then see that the fire of Mosgus's burn corpse is keeping the demons at bay meaning the you know that's the most helpful thing he has done for anyone in this entire last 10 episodes or whatever yeah guts then hands out torches so that his people can all last the nights against the demons farnese gradually is like having a change of heart about things because she finds guts very reassuring now i guess because he's not a literal actual fucking monster it's kind of a religious crisis though right yeah it's like a crisis of faith that like she saw mosgus as this like great holy man and then she's like watching him essentially transform into a monster mm-hmm. and I think that actually is done well in some ways like I actually like her arc of like having this crisis of faith she is like not like a like I said like it's really complicated to talk about this show because she's not a bad character and like no they do things that to her that are bad it's the same with Casca Casca is not a bad character they do lots of things to Casca that are bad and reprehensible but they are still making characters that are like ostensibly like real women or or things like that and like so i have a very hard time articulating to people my criticisms of the show yeah as i said i do like farnese's arc i think that there are good things about luca and nina Casca, mm-hmm. I will take your word for it that she was a good character before this. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's almost reprehensible. Yeah, they're using the fire to keep the demons at bay, but then also the creepy egg turns into Griffith now is a thing that happens. Yeah, I don't really understand how the mechanics of this works, but I also think we're not supposed to understand it as like an audience. No. Also, the, the fake Muslims show up 
Mm-hmm. And are definitely being referred to as barbarians, which is a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Isidro does comment at this point, if we don't get out of here after all that, I'm calling bullshit, which is a very meta comment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is good. There's also a giant panther with horns that shows up, who is, I guess, named Zod and buddies with Griffith. This is not explained. Several times, I think, that car- that demon show. Well, they're just many. like, hey, it's Zod. And then yeah. Zod goes over to Griffith and Griffith pats him. And everyone's like, okay. And I'm like, Okay. Then there's this whole thing where, like, Casca's trying to, like, get to Griffith, which I hate. Yeah, so I'm not sure exactly if that's very articulated well or not. Like, I can't remember if she is legitimately trying to kill him or not. Like, if that, then I'm okay with it. If it's anything else, I'm not. I don't know. Again, I think the show is smart, not smart in doing, like, I don't think we really do know. Yeah. Because, like, we're not supposed to understand Casca's mind right now and, like, her motivations as a character when her mind is broken and everything like that. Yeah. I'm sure a much more invested fan would mansplain it to me, but don't. They, I guess, just ditch that situation. Guts goes off with Casca, Puck, Isidro, and also Farnezo and Serpico follow him because they've just decided that this is their thing now. Yeah, he just, like, picks up a ragtag group of people. Yeah, and then Nina just, like, ditches her people without telling them anything and goes off with Joachim inexplicably, which, like... It's fine, but she sucks. Yeah, she does kind of suck, actually. I then wanted to kind of get into a little more detail about, like, things they got right and wrong. Yes, please do. This is what I'm here for. I'm here to learn. So in my next section, Vera et Falso, or True and False. Mm. I'm going to start by highlighting some of the things that are no. For a show that is very into, like, medieval warfare, the armor is ridiculous. It's, like, inaccurate or just, like, completely, like, out there? It's, like, the 17th century. Okay. Is what it is. Is that, like, it's all, like, the whole, like, the universe in most ways feels like it's about the 14th or 15th century, and the armor is 1 to 300 years too late essentially what was the armor like before then then like it's just essentially like... like it's so much less ornamental like the holy iron right. chain knights in particular like their armor is like real fucking fancy and it's like the kind of armor that you would wear at basically court settings in the city. Like you would never wear that if you're actually going into battle. So there was like video game armor then. I mean, yeah. that makes sense for them to do that from like an aesthetic perspective, but like don't overlap things. <laughs> they also did a lot of that with the architecture that a lot of the buildings are like very much look like 16th, 17th century. Was it like stone based or? I'm, I'm curious because like the ornamentalness of it was like very like carving and like stone. Yeah, like. so it's like stone based and like, you know, most fancy buildings in both the Middle Ages and the early modern period are primarily stone buildings. Right. But there are like changes in the style and the way in which ornamentation is done in particular. I see. And they like move in, and like a lot of the buildings have this like kind of curly cue based ornamentation, which is like very Baroque. That's what I was thinking of. It's, it's like the curvature shit. Like that's yeah. not a very medieval thing, right? Like medieval must be like very like straight edge. Like medieval architecture has a lot of like pointed arches or I earlier see. like rounded arches, but rounded in a very simple and less ornamental and like less ornamental way yes i see what you mean that like it's all of these architectural stylings that are like 16th to 17th century is what they're doing on a lot of the buildings Mm. the overall aesthetic often feels much later and you know so that's a thing that i always tend to complain about i mean i can't super blame them i am also an idiot so i would (laughs) never know (laughs) I mean, it's the kind of thing that 
I just every now and then I'm like, couldn't you read a book? Yeah, you're right. Like, it, it, I, I do, I can't really defend it because like, it does take me two seconds to Google like medieval architecture. And like, I could probably find like, this is the wrong architecture and this is the right architecture in like 30 seconds. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, it just every now and then it's like, people just don't do that. And yeah. it's like, I wish they would. And that's like, there's like a lot of that in terms of the aesthetics of this. Yeah, I think like, I, I don't, I think it's more like, I don't feel necessarily super offended by like the armor or that kind of thing. I do feel offended by the attitude though. Like we were talking yeah. about earlier where it's like, all men want to rape all the time. Like that cannot possibly be fucking true. Yeah, so that's like the other big thing that really bothers me is this like trope of like the middle ages as like very violent and of rape as being constant. I'm sure the middle ages was violent like it is violent but also like in the 21st century in the united states we have a we have like a mass shooting every two weeks yeah and you literally have like de- t- concentration camps happening like in the the u.s right now like right. It, it yeah it's to like say like one is more than the other is ridiculous yeah it's like that's my thing is that yes the middle ages was violent violence happened but it bothers me i'm not against like hyper violence in this like ter- in this in terms of like the aesthetics or like in terms of the experience of watching something but it does annoy me as a trope that's specifically used in medieval media that like it's presented as this is just normal and also yeah you're right and and like like you said like it's insidious and it's very like problematic to present it as such right like it makes it it makes you feel like oh so I'm not as bad as this which means that I can like continue to support this kind of violence or like protect perpetuate this kind of violence without like any kind of repercussions like I think you're right that there is like a very strange thread of like normalcy of violence in doing that yeah as difficult as that is for people to like parse together or whatever like it's very psychology which I know we hate but like it is like it does set that seed in your mind that like that is kind of okay you know right and it's also the other thing that I wanted to note about that is that like there are medieval critiques of violence and of like violence as a social ill this is something that medieval people talked about and that's the other thing that I feel like is very much absent from this and other oh, medieval films. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, and it's like it acts as though just everybody assumed that this is just a fact of life. Well, it's similar to like what we talk about religion, where like it's depicted that like everyone just thought like religious religion was like a fact of life as opposed to like yeah. a way of life, right? Like there is a disparity of really articulating what people were thinking at the time. There's actually a great book uh, called Tormented Voices uh, by Thomas Bisson, who is my like academic grandfather. And she's like talking about peasant complaints about excessive violence from their lords. Oh, hell yes. Yeah. And it's like, I love this. And it's so interesting because it very much illustrates that like, there are things that I mean, there's like, because there's so much of a like naturalization of like, oh, yeah, lords just killed their peasants all the time. And everyone thought that was normal and fine. And this is such an illustration that no, it wasn't that there are things that are considered to be beyond the pale that the peasants then like go and complain about as being a problem. I like that a lot. We should be reading way more of that, actually, because like it is like because like that like perpetuation of like the normalization of the peasants of the Lord is the same way where people are just like, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it is like people just being like, well, you have to rent. That's like a fact of life or whatever. Or like people own land and that's like a fact of life. And then like, it does really normalize it as opposed to us being like, no, we can complain all the time. 
Right. Yeah. And that like, it's that like this thing, like this is a thing that inspired complaints and critiques and eventually like actual peasant revolts and which like they talked about things specifically that like in, I've talked about this before, but like in Catalonia in particular, the peasants revolts in the 15th century referred to a set of practices that were called the mals usus, which literally means the bad customs. Oh, peasant civil disobedience sounds very cool. Yeah. But it's also like, it's so interesting because it's like, they acknowledge that these are like longstanding customs, but they are like, no, these aren't okay. And the fact that they are longstanding customs and even that they are kind of norms doesn't make them okay. And again, I think like this is just an element that's so lacking in so much medieval media. The fact that there are contemporary critiques about violence as a force in society. I think you're right. And also like it, it didn't really clue into me until we talked about it, like how like normalize that kind of violence is like very detrimental. Yeah. That's the main thing like I'm taking away from this is that like there was that dissonance. The fact that that people were against that and like openly speaking against that in the medieval times and were like are like currently like completely non-represented and like to some extent rejected. Yeah. Speaks volumes about like the normalization of certain like violence and fast like fash attitude and stuff like that yeah absolutely yeah there's also a lot of things that i would say are like in this sort of category so first of all the breaking wheel is actually a real thing but it was usually a punishment used for murderers rather than for heretics okay and that's when they put them on the wheel and then they like break their limbs on the wheel right yeah basically okay the punishment that's usually used for heretics is burning at the stake and i do appreciate that they got that right because that they actually did have a lot of the heretics get burned because usually there's this whole thing where they insist on like there being all these witches burned to the stake and they do kind of allied witchcraft and heresy. But that witchcraft specifically is actually punished by hanging rather than burning. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which is like very much not how it's depicted in most things. So I appreciated that specifically like the people who are called heretics get burned at the stake. The other thing I will say that it kind of got sort of right before I then go back to the like Inquisition stuff is uh, the attitudes toward Farnese I think are kind of interesting and that she's presented as being a woman who's the commander of uh, this like knightly force and uh, while there's not anything quite like that in the medieval context there are however women who because of their position as uh, noble women who are their father's heirs that then like they become technically in charge of armed men, although they do not typically lead them into battle, but they are ultimately their lords, essentially. Mm-hmm. I do think it's interesting in that there is some amount, however, of people indicating that they don't take Farnese seriously because she is a woman. Yeah, and that kind of like goes back to what we were talking about, where like the treatment of women in the series is very weird in particular, because like yeah. they're given agency, but they're not given agency. And like, I, I don't think that this is intentionally done, but like right. it is interesting to talk about how like they're creating these like actual women characters, but then like robbing them of agency and putting them in position where they don't really have a lot of choice it's yeah. it's very it's very out of the norm in my opinion for things that are not just in anime but like in most media in general like yeah. especially from the time that this was written yeah and it's also like it's honestly i feel like really common in a lot of medieval media in particular like it does a lot to deprive women of their agency to an extent that are their example like multiple examples i can mention where women in films even seem to have less agency than like those real actual human women who are being depicted had in the middle ages. Yeah, that's really weird, eh? 
it's normalizing like subjugation of women. It is. <laughs> like, and I think it's also yeah. like there's some amount of like basically I know you talked about before the like, you know, giving men like a cookie for human decency. Yeah. I think there's some amount of like giving us a cookie as modern society for like not for as like modern Western society for like not forcing women into marriages they hate or something like that. Or like m- not making every woman be a prostitute. Or exactly. Like that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So like I feel like there's a lot underlying in that. But I will say like the fact that she's this woman who on the one hand has power but on the other hand is not always taken seriously and that's clearly in part due to her gender i think that there are real life examples in the middle ages that map onto that interesting yeah berserk is an interesting series the other thing that i wanted to then kind of talk about in more detail and this is the kind of next segment the historia at veritas where i talk in a little bit more detail about a specific person or event or phenomenon Mm -hmm. is that i actually especially wanted to talk about the inquisition yes please do (laughs) i am here to learn sarah as i said like there's a lot that this show does in terms of taking religion seriously, including, by the way, like, as I said, like, there are all these people who are, like, not hypocritical about religion. That also includes, by the way, that the heretics take their faith quite seriously, which, well, on the one hand, I have some issues with the heretics in that a lot of their actual practices are things that are kind of drawn from, like, 16th, 17th century accounts of witchcraft and devil worship. Right. But the idea that there are people who are, quote, heretics, but who take their faith seriously seriously is very much something that I think you could legitimately say about a number of the groups who are at least hard with the brand of heresy in the 13th and 14th centuries. Uh, So the Cathars and the Waldensians in particular, I think good examples of this and that they are people who clearly like have a faith that they take seriously. That faith is just not actually in accordance with what the Catholic church is saying it should be. Uh, I see. So it's like minor branches of Christianity or? Yeah, just in a period where that's not actually an option. I mean, because uh, the word Catholic actually means basically general or universal we're not no but that's the claim that it's making by the time that's actually adopted as a denominational category it's overtly not true because there are other kinds of christians i see it's making a claim about the church as being universal and about there essentially as being no possibility of being a christian who is not part of the catholic church even though that was never i see i see i see and so that's very much what you see in like the 13th and 14th century and that's uh, where the rise of the inquisition comes from is this idea that there are people who are practicing Christianity in a way that is different from what the church considers to be standard and acceptable, and that these are therefore heretics who have to be rooted out because essentially their presence within the body of Christendom is inherently damaging. It's presented almost as like a diseased organ. Am I wrong to think that because there's so many branches of Christianity in general, like especially throughout this time, am I wrong to think like the Catholicism just like happened to be the dominant one by like accident or something like that. Like it it doesn't seem to me like that there's anything like very inherently different between like every branch of Christianity in some senses, especially in this time. In the Middle Ages, it's very geographical. Ah, okay. There are different geographical regions in which essentially different forms of Christianity who have some theological differences kind of arise as the dominant versions of Christianity. The big change really starts to happen in, so I would say about the kind of 13th and 14th centuries, you have these groups that arise that are coming up with different interpretations interpretations of Christianity in Western Europe, but that the church is able to stamp those out with some amount of effectiveness. And then the 
thing that's really striking about the Protestant Reformation is basically that like this is a challenge and a kind of alternative way of practicing Christianity that they then aren't successful mm, in stamping out. I see. And the fact that they failed to stamp out Protestantism as essentially a minor heresy and to get rid of it is why we now, you know, have a multiplication <laughs> of Christian denominations yeah. in the Western world. Damn Protestants. <laughs> I mean, fuck. And, and as a Jew, Don't I can say, you know, me. they're both terrible to the Jews, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> We're all like Martin awful. Luther had like and five seconds the... where he was really nice to the Jews. And then he was like, wait, you're not going to convert? Fuck you. That's my favorite meme is it's like, who would win the entire Catholic church or like one shit post and Martin Luther just like nailing the post right. on the wall. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is like, I see like very minor differences. Like, I guess like from my own perspective and in hindsight that like, it's very interesting to see like the, the divergence and how that happens. Yeah. And so like, but initially this is just something that like the church is really worried about as a problem. And especially like you have in Southern France, this big dualist heresy that essentially believes that there's an equivalent evil power. They don't quite actually say Satan, but like that there's like the devil and God are equally strong. Mm -hmm. And also that they're much more anti-materialist in certain ways. They're actually even like more critical of sexual activity as being something that's like not possible to be a like good person essentially. Oh, interesting. But also embrace a kind of like radical poverty because owning material possessions is also seen as being like too connected to the material world. Oh, damn. Like, I, I know we can't like touch on that too much, but radical poverty and like the yeah. transition of that into being a chosen wealthy person, especially in evangelicalism in the United States, yeah. is like unbelievably <laughs> interesting that I would just like love to talk with you about that, but we can't get into that yeah, too much. Yeah, so Another it's time, too deep. Yeah, so another time yeah. we should talk more about that. But for now, just one of the things that's really interesting is that you actually see the rise of orders within the Catholic Church who are embracing a kind of voluntary radical poverty basically as a way of being people who can then talk to the heretics on their own terms, essentially, and like be respected by them in theory or be respected by the people who are attracted by the heretics. Fuck, it's like, we're so far from that now. Yeah. Like, we talk about how things are the same, but damn, that should have stuck, in my opinion. Yeah. Radical poverty should be a thing. Yeah, so that's the origins of the Dominican and Franciscan orders, is that they, to varying degrees of Franciscans in particular, are kind of embracing this. And then the point, essentially, of them is that these orders, and the Dominicans in particular, are basically intended to kind of target heretics. So a lot of the kind of inquisitors are Dominican or Franciscan friars. Mm -hmm. You then have these people who are getting sent out to talk to the heretics, who uh, it actually is the case. There's something that, like, shows up a couple of times that, like, a lot of the people who are at least branded as heretics are people who are critical of the wealth of the church. And this is something that uh, was, in yeah. fact, like, a big issue, a big, like, a hot button issue in the 13th and 14th century centuries and like going forward to some reason as well like about whether it's okay for the church to have wealth which it very much does we've totally resolved that too oh like yeah there's no there's no contentiousness about that at all now oh yeah it's all fine <laughs> and so like that's something that then is being you know that they're like trying to deal with the other thing about the inquisition which i mentioned earlier is that like first of all uh, there's torture but like there are rules surrounding the torture like everything is very highly regulated yeah and also like he has this bit where he's like let's have a simplified trial which means like no trial like that's not a thing i'm not saying they were fair trials but you have to have a trial there must have been like a semblance of logic like outside of like just i'm very curious because like we have a very specific kind of justice system now right mm -hmm. like commonwealth like restoration that kind of thing or whatever but like 
they must have had like some kind of governing principles as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that and that would have based like how their trials work and everything like that. So like that's a very common misconception. Yeah, right? that they have like a very clear logic based judicial system and as i think before one of the issues with uh with torture and one of the reasons judicial torture actually becomes an important phenomenon is because a conviction without a confession is nearly impossible that's really weird that you mentioned that because now like our criminal justice system is so based on confessions like yeah like gd like get the confession that's very very important to policing and like how we understand how like people are convicted now and that has medieval roots i think i mean i think that the way in which like the current western legal system is actually the heir of a medieval legal system yeah of course yeah that was in some ways a result of this emphasis on confessions is that torture becomes considered to be an acceptable way to elicit a confession and i'm not like gonna be like everyone who confesses is wrong but like it also is like contributing to our misunderstanding of how people confess to things that they don't actually do in some senses right absolutely yeah it's all GTC, get the confession. Yeah, and so that's obviously the problem with like confessions under torture or other coercive contexts, yeah. which happens in modern policing as well. People eventually come to a point where they will say things that aren't true in order to get out of whatever, you know, experience they're currently having. So like that was like sufficient evidence, which makes sense to me because now that's considered yeah. sufficient evidence. But then like the punishment was like literally punishment orientated, not like rehabilitation, quote unquote, which I know the United States is not based on but like Canada supposedly is well that's actually the other thing that I would note is that there's actually more especially when you're talking about church heresy trials there's actually more of a rehabilitation aspect than people tend to assume Mm. so first of all the church actually doesn't execute people themselves if you're going to be executed then you actually have to be handed over to the secular arm for punishment because the church is not supposed to actually execute people themselves And so typically what the church actually does when somebody is convicted of heresy for their first offense is more of a rehabilitation focused thing in that the sentencing involves things like fines, requirement of pilgrimage, public penance, which includes things like being whipped in public, and then things that would be a kind of social shaming in some ways so that you would wear a a yellow cross on your clothing, for example, and that this would be that like you would kind of go around and everyone would know you were a heretic. The uh, medieval version of being cancelled, I assume, is what that is. Yeah. There's very much this kind of theater around the punishment of heretics and creating a stigma against these people who are convicted as heretics, but it's something that at least in theory is accepting the possibility of rehabilitation and that you might in fact become a quote, good Christian. And then it's once you're getting into like the second defense that they basically decide that you are not, that you have proven that you are not able to be rehabilitated. I see. Yeah. Recidivism is a thing back then right. too. <laughs> Right. I mean, so, you know, obviously, like, not that that's a good system, but no, that, like, if it's your second defense, you then, it's like, well, you're done. But that's the thing is that, like, on the one hand, there is definitely some amount of, there are punishments that part of them is certainly intended as a deterrent upon other people, that you're supposed to witness these punishments, and then that's supposed to convince you to not do the thing. Yeah, that's, like, in my opinion, not a very good, like, deter. No, deterrent. absolutely not. Yeah, it, deter, a deterrent against crime doesn't work. No. I mean, I get I get the idea behind it, but there is just not a lot of statistical evidence that supports right. it. Right, yeah. No, definitely not. It definitely, like, doesn't work, but it is at least, like, I'm the also... logic behind something. Yeah. I was also mostly just saying that because, like, there still is, like, a semblance of 
deterrent in yeah. like our current criminal justice system, not just in the United States, but in Canada as well. Yeah, they're definitely, I would say that's like a lot of the criminal justice system in the United States is really about like deterrent and punishment. At least we don't have privatized prisons, but still yeah. all cops are bad, including Mounties. Yeah. And, like, very little actual, like, serious efforts being made toward rehabilitation. And, you know, I think this is also a context in which it's certainly questionable how serious the efforts at rehabilitation were. Like, if there's, like, especially when there's so much, like, public embarrassment of the person, is that really conducive to that person repenting? And then also, of course, there's the question of the whole thing is, like, is it acceptable to ask somebody to essentially repent for what's basically, like, a thought crime? Yeah. And additionally, like, not even just, like, like, the social sacrifice versus, like, your actual punishment. Like, what do you asking people to do here like yeah so one other thing that i wanted to say about the inquisition was that the other issue is that so there are definitely like real like basically heretical movements like there's been some scholarship basically arguing that this group i mentioned before the cathars didn't really exist and are essentially a creation of the inquisition and i don't personally buy that argument although i think that the extent to which we can actually say things that are serious about their beliefs are limited because our records are mostly those produced by the Inquisition. Yes, like we were talking about before. Yeah, but I would say increasingly, though, like, basically you have a problem that is to some extent created that you now have this Inquisition, which is this huge, like, bureaucracy and structure whose job it is to root out heresy. And then I think increasingly you are put in a, they're put, they're kind of creating a situation in which they're transforming basically people who are, say, for example, critical of the wealth of the church into full scale heretical sects in ways that they probably really aren't. And that this is probably essentially kind of creates a culture that probably does to some extent make possible the, uh, the Protestant Reformation and, you know, the rise of a kind of larger scale uh, sentiment against the church. I see what you mean. And then, of course, also just like my one other quick note about the Inquisition, just because this is a very common misconception. What I've been talking about thus far is the Papal Inquisition. Many people, when they, so like under the jurisdiction of the Pope in Rome, many people, when they think of the Inquisition, they're actually talking about the Spanish Inquisition, which which is obviously in Spain by definition. It is the Pope actually giving to Ferdinand, the King of Aragon, and Isabella, the Queen of Castile, who are married, and this is like why Spain is a country. But it's so weird. They almost became two countries recently. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I have many friends who are very much working for that. Oh, really? We will talk about this another we time. Will talk about this another time. Yeah, I have a lot of Catalan. My relatives are too. He basically gives them the right to like run their own inquisition, specifically at this point for the purpose of rooting out people who have been forcibly converted to Christianity from Judaism and are like not being as actually Christian as they are now supposed to be. Ah, I see. And that's basically what the Spanish Inquisition is, is that it's then rooting out, again, still, quote, heresy, but in this case, heresy specifically being defined as the term is Judaization. So heresy specifically being defined as like basically continuing to practice Judaism after you've been converted to Christianity or encouraging other people to do so. So this is also like a version of like not a version, but like most people think of anti-Semitism as like something that came from World War II when in reality it's like very, very deeply rooted. Oh, like yes. this is a version of that. I mean, like, anti-Semitism where... or like I, I tend to use the term anti-Judaism when I talk about the pre-modern people 
period because uh, anti-Semitism, I think, has some like racial connotations that I don't think it initially had. That's a good point, actually, because like also the way that it was framed through Nazi Germany specifically was yeah. very like we can identify Jews just based on their physical like whatever. And, yeah, and, like, and also that like Jewishness can't be wiped out by baptism. So like that's actually like yes. the the Catholic Church. Don't get me started on the Catholic Church during the Holocaust. They changed a bunch of war criminals' names so that they could get out of Nazi Germany and like into Argentina, et yeah. cetera, and everything like that. Yeah. Because like you could legally do it when you were a part of yeah. the Catholic Church. Well, and it's also that like to the extent that the Catholic Church like criticized the Holocaust, it was essentially was not actually that they complained about like genocide of Jews. It was that they were like, no, those people converted to Christianity. They're Christians. You shouldn't kill them. Yeah, they're totally okay now, right? <laughs> and like, because and like that's actually the thing is that like not you know not, not that like one is better than the other, but like yeah. that there is like a difference between like an anti-Judaism that then believes that like Judaism can be wiped away through baptism and then you're no longer Jewish versus this like racial, like, no, no matter what you have Jewish blood that is like ruining you. Yeah, I know. It's like, which one is better? Neither one. Neither is good. They're all bad. Yeah. But yeah, but that's definitely like a difference. And so like in most medieval contexts until about the late 14th century, I tend to say anti-Judaism versus anti-Semitism. It's also like so many of the tropes are the same, like the connection between like Judaism and like money and materialism that goes back to the new testament yeah and it's something that like you see those stereotypes and the iconography surrounding it being developed over the course of the middle ages and then that's like there are images from nazi germany that are upsettingly similar to the ones that you see in the medieval world and then every now and then some that you see like now that are basically I, the same trend. I got in trouble once for saying that the New, the new Testament was anti-Semitic. Of course because, the New um, Testament is anti-Semitic. Yeah, or, I got or in trouble for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was anti-Jewish. And I, I was like, yeah, of course it is. Like, everyone says that the Jews killed Jesus when Jesus was a Jew. But additionally, the Romans killed Jesus. And still, like, I got in a lot of trouble for saying that. Our next segment, Fabula Nostra, is where we talk about an alternative piece of media that we might come up with in place of this. I didn't bother doing casting for this because like I don't want to get into a whitewashing thing and I don't know voice actors well enough to like do that. The thing about like okay so it would be very very difficult to cast this not just because of like the fact that it is a Japanese medium but because like in my opinion anime cannot be live action. Yeah I think that's fair. Yeah based on just how it's stylized it just can't work. I think the closest would be Pacific Rim which is like a a very big homage to Evangelion. Yeah. But still like not the same thing always. So I I think like casting someone as guts and like casting someone as so-and-so is just like a total non-exercise. Like it would never work. So I don't want to do that. So I just had a couple of remarks that I wanted to make about the version, the alternative like anime version of this even that I might want to see, Mm -hmm. which would be that like, as I've talked about before, like I really love the world building elements of this. Like I think this universe is great. There's just so much of the actual plot that's like really not. And I do have to give credit to Dark Souls in that sense. Mm -hmm. Like Dark Souls does kind of a good job of that where like it's not sexual at all and like that removes a lot of like the cringiness for me about Berserk. And so like Plain Dark Souls is the same as, like, watching Berserk. You know how, like, we were talking about how, like, the story is not telling itself to you? Mm -hmm. That's the same as Dark Souls, like, and it works so well as a video game because you're moving throughout this world and you're, like, 
only seen like there's no cutscenes in the game oh, and huh. there's very little explaining things to you you have to go throughout the game and like figure out the world on your own yeah and that's such a powerful like tool to like creating this world building and everything and so i think like as a medium as a video game i think anime could possibly work that that way as opposed to like casting someone or things like yeah. that just based on the way that berserk is translated to some extent to dark souls yeah. bloodborne that kind of thing yeah and so i think like honestly like the thing that i would kind of want to watch would be something and like i don't know if this kind of maps onto earlier parts at all but like given that like casca is something who is someone who is clearly implied to have been herself like a warrior and like kind of a badass the thing that i would have much preferred to see would be a thing where like Guts and Casca are actually, like, allies and equals? They kind of are, from my understanding in the previous parts. They kind of are, and, like, I think that's kind of, like, the severity of how her mind breaks and everything like that. Yeah. But, like, it would be much more powerful for her specifically to have, like, a redemption... Not redemption, but, like, for her to... For us to, like, explore, like, how she translates this kind of trauma. Yeah. As opposed to, like, this being a motivation for Guts. Yeah, I think that, like, if you're going to keep the rape then like that would be the version that I'd want to see or you could have just not yeah. had the rape and have them like both in a position where they're like like I don't know maybe even like they both have like been like branded and are trying to figure out yeah. what to do and like both want to get revenge against Griffith because he like killed all these other people that they're friends with like I don't think you even need the rape I think like Griffith raping Casca like I'm not saying blah 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 I defend this or whatever but I think like it is a very powerful choice to make that in a narrative and I think but it was not redeemed properly. Uh Like if you need to, if you want to do that, like especially like building up the characters in this way, that's why like the eclipse in Berserk is so legendary is because it's like so fucking violent, like considering that you've been, you've been with these characters for so long, but like building it up to the point where like this character essentially has zero agency afterwards. is just Mm -hmm. not like, it's not a good yeah. use of narrative device. Yeah. In, in my opinion. Like, you could, it could be so much more powerful. Yeah. And I definitely, I will say, like, I'm, there are exceptions, but I'm increasingly frustrated by, like, the use of rape as a narrative device at all. Yeah. And yeah. And as I said, like, I, I don't even think you necessarily need it. Like, I think that you could have a story where they are both, like, trying to get revenge because, like, Griffith, like, fucked with them and, like, ways that are essentially similar yeah that he like branded them with this thing that now like demons show up every five seconds and like they had all of these friends that he murdered yeah and when i say the word gratuitous like because i've used it a a number of times like i mostly mean that like the violence has not paid off yeah like that the violence of the eclipse is incredibly intense and i think it's a very legendary and will go down in history as one of the like the most violent like hyper intense moments in anime and manga that like anyone has ever seen yeah but like it's gratuitous because it doesn't pay off in the way that it should Mm -hmm. like casca completely losing agency is just not a good payoff yeah guts only being motivated by one of someone who is his comrade and like someone who he defended and like was a part of raping his baby mama essentially and then like causing her to like completely lose her mind and things and then him being like strictly motivated on that sense and having no personality that's not a payoff yeah like it should have been like a much more holistic version of that and like to use that violence in that sense is irresponsible as a writer and is irresponsible 
just like from a perspective of like my own audience, like I think it could be done in so much better ways mm-hmm. and so much more interesting ways. Yeah. Stop using rape as a narrative device, people. Yeah, exactly. Like that's basically it. Mm-hmm. I still like Berserk. I'm just hypercritical of it yeah. because I am hypercritical of everything that I watch or listen to. Yeah. That then leads into uh, the next section, which is the estimatio or which is more or less Latin for rating. So I rate things on a scale of one to five, five being the best, one being the worst. My criteria are essentially whatever I feel like them being for any given piece of media. Same, same. And are very much like feelings based. Oh, me too. Like who isn't? Anyone who says they're not is a liar. Yeah. I was definitely torn by this because I like things about the world building, because I like the fact that it actually takes religion seriously. But I think with the like excessive, rape and also the ways in which I feel like this really builds on these tropes that really bother me about violence and particularly sexual violence in the medieval world. I think I'm going to go to two out of five. Yeah, I think like that's I'm more leaning towards like three out of five just because like I am an apologist and I've seen anime that's way worse honestly Uh like not necessarily like more violent or anything but like something that treats violence way way worse. There is like some kind of subtlety in Berserk at least. Yeah. There's also plenty of anime that's like doesn't have any kind of sexual violence in it that's Mm -hmm. like amazing yeah like there's there's lots of anime like that and like anime is a medium not a genre yeah all that kind of things i i mostly think like when i watch berserk i i think like this could be amazing like you've created this incredible world and like you you could do so much with this but uh it it just like really doesn't hit the mark in a lot of ways i i'm giving it like a three out of five on my own like objective like yeah four out of five from my own personal stance because like I have like rooted like history with it and everything but that's only just because like I enjoyed anime and that yeah. kind of thing I think objectively it's like a two or three out of five though yeah I, I, I think like if you really want to understand anime and you really want to understand understand like the translation of that to western culture berserk is a good place to go with a lot of trigger warnings oh yeah totally like trigger warning for everything I would say I would give like a qualified recommendation of this in some ways that like with a lot of trigger warnings I would say to some people that like this is an interesting depiction of the medieval world and of thinking about like how like the non-western world then depicts the western middle ages that's really good to think about actually you're right it's a very qualified recommendation where it's like if you want to see like interesting violence depicted in a way that isn't like lord of the rings or something like that go and watch berserk and understanding how the world looks at Christianity outside of the Western world, which you don't really see a lot, go and watch Berserk. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm so happy we finally, well, I finally found the time and got off my ass to get on here. Where can Media Evil listeners find you on the internet? Okay, so mostly on Twitter, notable internet weeb, at HeyLaineys, H-E-Y-L-A-I-N-E-Y-S. I'm on a podcast about the very famous Canadian anime reboot called Format Guardian, and I'm also on my own podcast called Sports Are Gay, and I am sometimes on Alberta Advantage if you are into politics. Canadian politics, Albertan Canadian politics <laughs> specifically, which I know like most of you are. Um, mostly just find me. Everyone sure. <laughs> yeah. 
If you have enjoyed Media Evil, we can be found on all podcasting platforms. So please subscribe and please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and I will read five-star reviews in future episodes. Please follow us as well on Twitter at the podcast at Media Evil Pod. That's M-E-D-I-A-E-V-A-L-P-O-D, and join the Facebook group. And you can also find me personally on Twitter at Sarah If Decker. And if you have any questions, please email me at media.evilpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Media Evil. Bye. Bye.